Coming up next, The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy. Every Thursday from 4pm, right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR. Welcome to The Crunch on Reality Check Radio. I'm your host, Cam Slater, and this is the place we crunch the political issues and cut through the politician's spin. It's crunch time. We have another interesting show ahead for you this week. My first guest this afternoon is Lee Donahue, the New Zealand first candidate for Hutt South and one of the three freedom candidates with winnable list positions. We'll be discussing his experience as a Hollywood insider and what drove him to seek election for New Zealand first. And then I'll be talking with Kirsten Murphitt about her transition from lawyer to politician and what triggered her to stand up and be counted. Firstly, in the freedom movement, and now in standing for New Zealand First at number 11 on their list. I've got a fair bit to say about the latest leaders debate and the polls. It's crunch time with early voting opening on October 2. Who is winning, who is crashing, and who is burning? And finally, I'll have a chat with my buddies about what they think is their preferred coalition makeup. Who knows what they'll have to say, because I certainly don't. And we're now in the home stretch of the election campaign and things have solidified. It's now abundantly clear we'll have a change of government. The only remaining question is what that will look like. But some interesting things are emerging. We could be headed for an overhang situation where Labour wins more electorates than their party vote entitles them to. Their vote is still dropping and they're at the pressure point where they'll get zero list MPs. Grant Robertson, David Parker and Willie Jackson all look like getting the don't come Monday from the voters. But it's all over by the shouting for Labour and for the minnows. The polls are emphatic and they all agree. 
If your chosen party isn't near 4% now, they never will be. How much wasted vote will there be? Make your vote count. Don't forget to send comments to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. So how about that young leaders debate on Monday night then? I watched it so you didn't have to, such as the life of a political commentator and radio show host. Now, inspiration for this monologue comes from a Voices for Freedom group member who seemed to have seen the same things that I did. In what could be described as nothing less than a complete train wreck of wokeness and ill-informed discussion, we saw the awfulness of that wokeness in a brave and stunning display of cross-party unity and inclusion. We got to see a hen's hatchery of wokeness and politically correct terminology fueled by emotionally laden rants that even the very best of Jerry Springer's wino housewives would be envious of. With six women and just one male, it was a slap fest for a title of New Zealand's most woke politician. And they touched on the very real issues facing New Zealanders like non-binary inclusion in sports and transgender toilet facilities. Never mind the economic turmoil and hijacking of the country by external globalists that we're facing, with the very real-world consequences of a finance minister with all the fiscal discipline of a drunk gambling addict at a casino. Oh no, we have to focus on kids who can't make up their mind whether they're Arthur or Martha. And even when Lee Donoghue, one of my guests today, would dare to even speak of learning civics or our heritage, he was shut down in a torrent of abuse at his exuberant toxic masculinity. Lee Donoghue, the sole male representative of the whole panel, serves as a reminder that New Zealand First is very much alone in a battle against the mob rule insanity of the collective madness, even though he made some of the only legitimate points across the entire debate. But his points were completely outweighed by the fact that, yes, this person does indeed have a penis and identifies as a cis white male and therefore shall be deemed an enemy of the state and a patriarchal oppressor of society. Not to be outdone by the Greens' very own Chloe Smallbrick and her emotionally charged rant about woke lesbians and how male opinion on lesbians isn't even relevant, the Maori Party candidate chimed in with some absolute bangers of Marxist thought theory, including multiple running statements about being oppressed followed by why everything and everyone was racist. And we all know, beginning every statement with my people is the most unifying and non-divisive formula for racial harmony. As Robert Downey Jr., the white actor who played a black guy, asked us best, what do you mean, you people? It is a truism these days that no reasonably white person can possibly be oppressed or marginalized. It is political heresy to even think of such a thing. No, instead we must marify the entire nation and bathe it in the very essence of indigenous identity, thereby proving it is indeed not racist by creating an exclusionary total apartheid state between the indigenous and the others, 
or Tauiwi as they like to call the others, or settler class, or colonizer, or some other insult that they enjoy using. Every sign, every institution, every historical reference, every linguistic feature and identity factor must be a homage to its cultural superiority over the perceived oppressor. It was a derailed train wreck of racism, sexism, and a vivid display of how Marxist ideology subverted and demoralized an entire generation into believing oppression was their virtue, and anyone that said otherwise was simply, insert another word here, ism, to create a false phobia of. It was an unedifying exhibition where sexuality and the make-believe realms of gender came to fruition. Did they ever think that by identifying as something so much that they may lose every single point of their true identity in the process? And then to talk of the mental health crisis in our young people, I wonder what event involving long-term isolation, school disruptions, and total propaganda with psychological conditioning techniques could possibly have occurred that caused that over the past few years. Anyone? Ladies and gentlemen, it is an unfortunate reality that the youth of New Zealand have been targeted for and actively indoctrinated by the agendas we are fighting against. While parts of the agenda will undoubtedly self-destruct, they'll be inevitably eroded and be broken apart by truth the natural order of earth, and by reality. But the scars of this nonsense are going to linger. It hurt to watch, never mind even make sense of. It's going to be an interesting future if these are our young leaders. Exciting news, everyone. Our RCR app is now live, and it can be downloaded from the app stores, both iOS and Android. Thank you all for being so patient while I've been working hard behind the scenes to get this app out there, and I love it. Finally means I can divorce myself from the mainstream media in the mighty Isuzu D-Max. The Bluetooth connection works brilliantly. You can check that out at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Kiwi actor Lee Donoghue was born and raised in Lower Hutt until moving to Auckland to pursue his acting career. After landing a lead role on Shortland Street, Lee utilised his public profile to become involved in various charity work, including for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and the Television 3 Telethon. Lee travelled overseas to pursue his acting career further and eventually felt that this industry and the media had been hijacked by an anti-democratic agenda. This has led him home to represent New Zealand first in the upcoming election, to safeguard the fundamental values of democracy and sovereignty in our country. He joins me now. Welcome to The Crunch, Lee. Good to have you on. Thank you, Cam. It's so nice to be here with you. Now, I have to make a confession, Lee, that uh, many, many years ago, uh, I was a Shortland Street viewer. And... uh, you know, I lived in Wellington at the time, and I was getting a bit te- it was getting a bit tedious for me then, and so I decided that seeing as it was coming up to Easter, that I'd give up Shortland Street for Lent, and uh, I haven't watched it since, and so I didn't really catch your performances. <laughs> what a shame! What a shame! You missed out just when it was getting good. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm honoured to 
to have a couple of things that are kind of standouts on Shorty Street um, while I was there. One of them was being one of very few actors to have my my uh, back end shown on on TV at <laughs> seven o'clock, running around. That was quite fun. And then yeah. uh, usually the credits roll with the Shortland Street theme song. But um, one episode I, I was involved with a big kind of storyline breakup, and so they used um, Anchor Me by the Mutton Birds uh as the credits rolled which is pretty cool oh it's a it's a great song maybe we'll uh slot that into into the show uh i'll get the producer onto it while we're speaking and <laughs> they can they can chuck that in and uh we can have have a listen to that and everyone can bring back the fond memories of you on shortland street sure sure now you uh you took off to the u.s didn't you and uh were having a go up in the u.s with your acting career yes um, what did you discover when you were up there? Um, yeah, great question because, you know, it's quite funny. Some of these meet the candidates that I'm going to, you know, some of the politicians, they scoff and they laugh. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, moving overseas and having world life real experiences is not really anything to scoff at, you know. It's kind of like going from university to a government job to going into parliament and not really living in the real world is something that I would scoff at. Yeah, um, so would I. So you know, would I. Uh, and, you know, uh, moving out of your comfort zone and challenging yourself and facing your, you know, your fears is something that I would, I would go, hey, you know, kudos to you or anyone else doing something like that. But moving to California and, and Playing in the big leagues and, and doing all that, I had an amazing opportunity. Um, Shortland Street was uh, was so nice to me at the time when we were negotiating. So every every year you you negotiate another contract. So it's a year by year process. Yeah. And I was studying with some amazing acting coaches in the United States: Larry Moss, Susan Batson, uh, Margie Haber, in New York and LA. And I came back. And they left my negotiations super late for me. It was very, very nice. They basically let me do whatever I wanted to do. They yep. did tell me that they wanted me to stay on the show long term. Um, but I had this opportunity to move to LA. I had, uh, you know, the pop star Beyonce, her agent um, uh, from ICM Partners uh, meet with me in LA. And, uh, and she, me and her just clicked and she said to me, I want you here. I want you here now. You need to get out of that show and we're going to make a great team. So I did. And it was really scary. And it was like, holy moly, this is really happening. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, moving to California and getting there, you know, late at night and it's a weird old world over there. You know, it's <laughs> not it's not Auckland or, or Wellington. You're in a totally different world. So I remember hiring this car when I flew in and driving down the freeway, the 405 from the airport. Yeah. And the freeways there are so different to, to, to our motorways. They have the, they're made out of concrete and they have these big joining kind of sections. And I was driving down, you know, late at night and I'm thinking, holy moly, I'm on the other side of the road. Everything's, you know, kind of crazy. And I hear this dig, 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 dig. And I think, oh, I've got a flat tire. It's uh, the road. But it's just the road. It's just the way the roads are there. It's kind of, everything's different. Um, but yeah, look, um, love acting, love the industry, um, have some amazing uh, memories and experiences over there um, and worked on some some great gigs. But yeah, it, it's very eye-opening. It's I knew something 
Look, it's it's like the old saying, right? Never meet your heroes, you'll just be disappointed. And I think there's a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I sit there watching shows on television and usually within about and, and like I don't watch lineal television. I stream everything. So, you know, I've got I've got oh. all the all the streaming platforms. Mm. But I'd noticed over the last few years this woke culture being infecting everything, you know, where you've been watching a show, it's fantastic storyline, you're into say the third or fourth season, and then all of a sudden they're assaulting you with what seem to be sexual references to everything, people's relationships, yeah. uh, that's far outside of of society representation. You know, there's a heavy uh, influence of uh, LGBTQ relationships, a uh, huge amount of trans relationships. And it's got to the point where if something pops up in the show now, it's not that it disgusts me or anything like that. It just annoys me that I'm being propagandized by television, movies, and the media in general, so that I just switch it off and I go and find something that, that hasn't got that nonsense in it. Yeah, usually from something from a few years ago. I, <laughs> um, You know, isn't it funny how far we've come? You know, I mean going into the political arena and doing this, you know, I thought, gee, I better go back on my Facebook and I better go back on these things. <laughs> and I better just, you know, and some candidates have gotten trouble over over this, right? And and I and I just the world was a different place. I mean, you go back to 2008, 2010, mm. and even some friends of mine, um, some of the things they put on your page, you know, just trying to be funny. And some of them aren't blokes some of them are girls you know yeah. and some of the stuff's horrendous and you're like holy moly like people would never even think about doing stuff like that these days but in terms of watching tv shows and being propagandized yes um i realize that hollywood is the tip of the spear when it comes to driving far left radical ideology and it's all one-way traffic so and i remember having little facebook rants with people and stuff like that about it when um you know, period pieces, for example, mm. you, can't, you can't just tell a story and it's all one way traffic. So if you have a, a story that's an American story or a European story, it's now cast for, by a multinational cast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And some, and look, I, I'm not against that, but um, you had that movie, The Great Wall, I think it was called, and it was a co-production with um, China and the United States. And they put Matt Damon in there mm. Um you know, to kind of draw in the American crowd and try and make the Chinese movie industry go mainstream in America. And, you know, and I and I totally understood. Well, all my friends in New Zealand at the time were saying that this is a story about the Great Wall and, you know, it's whitewashed and this is um, whitewashing and all this kind of thing. And they were just totally anti it. And, you know, it's kind of strange, isn't it, where you have, you do a Shakespeare play in Auckland and you have, all kinds of cast members. You have Samoan cast members, Maori yep. cast members, Asian cast members. But with Kapahaka, you you never have any any other, you know, ethnicities apart from Maori people. Mm. And um it's just one way traffic. And I think the great thing about being involved with a party like New Zealand First is that we're just not gonna eat these bulldust sandwiches like everybody else, you know, and yeah. giving people the permission to actually say, yeah, we've had enough. You know, we want everyone treated the same. We don't want one rule for me and one rule for thee, you know. And um, and I was, it, look, politics takes you all over and you mix 
with a more uh, a greater variety of people than you do even in the film industry. Yeah, and what I mean by that, I I was um, at the local mosque here in Lower Hutt, and we were chatting with the folks after they came out of their prayer meeting, and there were these lovely ladies there, and we were talking, and they were the mosque community and the Muslim community were right behind us, where New Zealand First sits on gender ideology and and removing it from schools and protecting women's spaces and women's sports. Yep. And and I said, well, the other thing too, you know what? We're more than just that. I said the party is also about treating everyone equally, and we want and all this. And one of the Muslim women there said, oh, but you know, it's um, it's the it's um, Maori people's country, so you know. And I said, it's all of our country. It's your country. It's my country. And yeah, all of a sudden, exactly. She she propped up, her body position changed, and she said, yes, I've been here 25 years. And she pointed to the car and she said, that's my son. He was born in this country. He loves this country. This is our country. And her friend said, yeah, that's right. It's my country too. And it's just that little bit of just, you know, encouragement that people need where they just go, why am I putting up with this? And I think that's the most rewarding thing with politics or getting in the political arena is being able to empower people, right? Well, and, and, and they'll listen as well, and that's using your position as a candidate, uh, you know, and your uh, stardom, for want of a better term, to provide a positive change to society. And all too often we see the news, uh, we see the, the entertainment industry beating us down with yeah. these cudgels that we we have wrong think and there's a right way of thinking and it's this way and you know it, it, it's pervasive it's mostly about social issues it's also about climate change you know we've got all these disaster movies uh, portraying yeah. the end of the world um, from climate change and things like that and it's just not going to happen and it's not believable and it's it's about as believable as Netflix's um, you know black actor playing Cleopatra who was Greek. <laughs> You know, there's no there's no arguments about this in history about who or what Cleopatra was, but the, the entertainment industry is now telling us all that Cleopatra was a black woman. Well, she wasn't, and so it's beyond credibility. But it's pervasive, and it's just like this constant dripping tap, uh, telling us all we're all wrong, and it they're actually gaslighting us all. Yes. And you're one of the few voices in the entertainment industry that's saying, well, no, actually, they are gaslighting you. They oh, yeah. Telling you all of this. Well, it's the same thing, mate, when, you know, people are tearing down statues and things like that and trying to erase history and rewrite history and, um, you know, and look, it's, it's um, they're using our own culture against us. It's kind of strange. It's um, We're all being manipulated and kind of emotionally herded in mm. one direction to kind of just give up the ghost, right, and let them do whatever they want. And it's not really about right or wrong or, you know, what culture wins or anything like that. It's more about just power. You know, they just want, um, from what I see, you know, like look at all the stuff that's happening. It's only happening to select countries, you know, New Zealand being one of them. Yeah. You look at Canada, you look at New Zealand, you look at Australia, you look at the UK, uh, France, um, it's all Western nations. And it's not happening in Hungary, is it? It's not happening in Poland. No, no. They, they just say, no, we're not having this nonsense. Mm -hmm. See you later. Yeah, and when they stand up to it, then they get threatened uh, mm. by the powers that be. Um, and that's what I'm so happy about, 
you know, being a part of New Zealand first. That's a uh, patriotic kind of, you know, nationalistic uh, focused party, which is like, hang on here. We're not going to be told what to do by unelected uh, globalist organizations. Mm. Um, and we're a huge believer in the democratic process. You know, um, one of the things that comes up many times and that I've spoken on at Parliament um, not that long ago um, regarding tourism, we were privy to the government's plans for the industry. And every time they mention New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand, Aotearoa New Zealand. And mm. I stood up when it was my turn and uh, and I said, because it was the tourism, um, you know, panel i thought i'd be funny right yeah and uh what i learned is people in this industry don't have humor um but it's okay Especially when it comes to these uh, sorts of things <laughs> so i stood up there and i said hi um i like holidays new zealand first likes holidays but the important thing everyone's going what's he talking about where's he going with this and the labor you know yeah, um, yeah. MP, the green mp are all sitting there like little mean girls you know like yeah and and i said but the important thing about a holiday is the destination and knowing where you're going and new zealand right has a name you know it's new zealand it's not aotearoa new zealand and i said yeah. if you want to change the name of a country that's fine right no have issue a have a reference yeah have to consult the New Zealand people about it. You don't just change it at the bottom of a ministerial email or like Nanaya Mahuta at the UN recently signing this UN um, agreement um, that sounds like a sandwich, the, um, you know, the uh, BB&J yeah. uh, about marine biodiversity, et cetera, you know, um, declaring like I'm doing this on behalf of um, Aotearoa New Zealand. Well, that's not our name, you know. and, no, and it's not. And circumnavigate the democratic process. That's just one very small example of it. Well, the thing that cracks me up about the whole Aotearoa thing is that it's actually a construct of a European yeah. who made the word up and turned it into this motherhood and apple pie statement about the long land of the long white cloud when it's just total horse dung, the whole origin of the word. But yep. it's all been um, grasped by the agenda pushers to change the name of New Zealand to something. And, it, and it's hilarious. It, it's it's kind of like the whole trans thing, right? I always laugh uh, uproariously about it because it's the ultimate extension of the patriarchy to have men pretend to be women and now we all call them women. <laughs> and it just cracks me up that there's, all these, that there's all these women that are going along with it to you know, to get along, you know, and, and what they're actually doing is letting the patriarchy dominate them again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, look, it's one of those things, right? You have legitimately probably a fraction of a percent of the population that are, are dealing with these issues. And sure. New Zealand is an, is an anti-people with... Um, We're a compassionate country, by and large. Or, you know, uh, who, who are really going through it, right? Um, and um, we feel for them. But instead of helping the fraction, the very small fraction with what they're going through of percentage, um, they would rather just force 99.5% of the population to um, adjust to what these people are going through. It's kind of, it's kind of uh, strange. Um, and look at how far this has gone in other places. I mean, this is only starting here now. We're only in the beginning phases of this. 
And that's what people don't understand. See, I've lived in California for a long time. So I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen where this has gone. And and I've seen, I mean, right now, people don't understand, but in California, they just passed a bill for the governor to sign. Um, where if you as a parent, right, don't affirm your child's gender that they feel they are as a child, um, the state now has the powers to take your child from you. Yeah. This is insane territory, Cam, and we cannot have this here. And that's why New Zealand First is fighting this woke madness tooth and nail and we are trying to let people know in this country that if you don't party vote New Zealand first and you don't get us in there this is what's coming to you well speaking of getting you in there your uh, list ranking position is uh, number 12 well yes do you know what percentage New Zealand first needs to get to get you into parliament I think it's probably a fraction under 10%. It's probably around 9.5%. Yep, that's exactly right. So so at 8%, you get Erica coming in. Uh-huh. At 9%, you get Kirsten Murphy coming in. Yep. And then just shy of 10%, there's you coming in. And those are three. You, you three are what I would term freedom candidates, people that believe in bodily autonomy, um, oh, yeah. that have fought the fought the fight on mandates, uh, have been outspoken around all of these issues. Mm. There's a real incentive for the freedom community to fall in behind New Zealand first because at 8, 9, and just shy of 10%, they're going to get three very good uh, articulate freedom fighters into parliament. Oh, thank you. So, but, you know, this is really important. And and I also want to touch, too, for yourself. The entertainment industry in New Zealand has been a lock for a long time for the Labour Green watermelon-type people. And a lot of the people in the industry are very vocal advocates for the Green Party. And Robin Malcolm is one name that springs to mind. They're out there push, push, pushing. You're an exception. You're a conservative person from the entertainment industry and you're in New Zealand first, I imagine you're getting a whole lot of people that are saying to you from the industry, what what are you thinking, Lee? What are you doing? <laughs> Look, the, I, the thing is, is I went to California as a no-wall liberal Kiwi, right, who's yeah. from the world, who knows how everything should be because I watch the news and I'm <laughs> Um, and America hasn't got a clue on anything, and you're all wrong. And I ate a lot of humble pie when I was over there, and um, I expanded my mindset, shall we say. Yeah. Um, look, I still have a heart. I, I'm an actor, you know, so that's it's what I'm trained in. That's you know, where the bulk of my kind of work and, and expertise comes from. So you you have to be able to em- empathize with people and and understand that you know there are a lot of different truths out there and you have mm. to you know and have a heart and that's what i love about new zealand first right so winston peters came from national and our number 2 shane jones came from labor yep and um it just shows you that you know new zealand first occupies that you know goldilocks zone um we're the goldilocks zone party you know if you don't, if you want your porridge not too hot and not too cold, you know, 
come and be in New Zealand first because we we don't want our assets sold, right? We yeah. don't want privatization coming in, but also we want lower taxes. We want increased depreciation. We we understand we want to grow the economy. We want our exports to take off. We, you know, we're kind of in that got like I said, that Goldilocks zone. But in terms of the industry, yes. Um I remember tweeting the other day, you know, well-known Kiwi actress Lucy Lawless was mm. um gouting out uh, you know, James Shaw from the Green Party and their, you know, their candy they're trying to hand out um this close to an election. Um and I just, you know, retweeted it and I said, this is why I left Hollywood, because they have no clue. They absolutely have no clue. They're so detached from everyday uh struggles of real Kiwis. And they just don't understand. They just don't get it. And a lot of them don't even like their um the politics of the left, but they have to go along with it. So New Zealand First is against affirmative action, right? Um, Winston Peters spoke about this. So you look in California when the Supreme Court ruled on affirmative action for a particular high-profile university in the United States, saying that certain ethnicities can get in with a lower mark, yeah. a lower pass grade. The United States Supreme Court looked at it and said this is unconstitutional because every all men are created equal. This is... This is not an example of this. Boom, struck down. Within five minutes, you had all the Hollywood movie stars on Twitter coming out saying, this is racist, blah, 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 this and that. And that. It was just so fake, so coordinated, and um, there's endless examples of this. But, yeah, you're 100% correct. It, it astonishes me that, and this is no disrespect to yourself, but it astonishes me that, people who think that people who make a living by pretending to be other people have got something credible to say about climate change, uh, world peace, almost any topic you care to imagine, but yeah. they they grab hold of these celebrities and they ask them what they think. And I don't think thinking actually enters into any of the... <laughs> In any of the process that goes along, the, the only thinking is, well, what will this look good to my fans or how would this you know, look good to the next producer that I'm trying to impress to get a job? Pretty it's, much. It's not about any genuine held core beliefs about freedom or freedom of movement, freedom of speech, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things. And I mean, that's one of the great things about the United States is they actually have a constitution that can be enforced. And it's a, a great pity that we don't have such a constitution in New Zealand. Yeah, uh, so I find you there. I um, yeah, that's something that I would you know personally love to see something bolstered and ratified, and and um, you know, especially with what the country's been through in the last wee while. And it's almost like, oh yeah, what, where's the bit of paper? What what does it say we can and can't do? You know, and there's you know, well, you know, we've got a Bill of Rights Act. Uh, but the problem was when they passed the Bill of Rights Act, it was, it's it's not a superior piece of legislation that sits above all other legislation and and everything else drives from there. It's just well, we've got these statements that explain what our bills are, what our rights are, uh, in the Bill of Rights. But when it when push came to shove, the Bill of Rights Act was ignored with mandates, with vaccine passes. Uh, with you know bodily autonomy. I mean, this yeah. is the this is the amazing thing about the whole COVID thing, right? 
mm-hmm. is that we had you know the Supreme Court stri- striking down Roe versus Wade, saying it's not it, it's got nothing to do with the Constitution. You know, see you later. That's the end of it. And all of these lovies and actors and all around the world in New Zealand mounted these huge protests saying, you know, um, my body, my choice. Yeah. And at the same time, they yeah. were deriding anybody, mocking anybody who said, well, I'm not having that so-called vaccine. Uh, it's my body, my choice. And we were ridiculed. So oh, yeah. on, one, on one hand, you've got this my body, my choice, you know, liberal view when it comes to things like abortion, women's rights, and all of those sorts of things. But when it actually came to something that actually mattered, the Human Rights Commission in New Zealand was utterly silent. It took brave individuals, you know, like Kirsten to be involved in in legal action to say, well, hang on a minute, people have a choice. It's in the Bill of Rights. But even the judges struck that down as well. It, it was ludicrous, astonishing. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, look, I respect our judges and our legal system, and but sometimes I think the judges in New Zealand are probably a little bit shy or scared of standing up and doing the right thing they always revert back to legal precedent and they don't want to rock the boat and it's a very conservative little line they toe and i think you know justice is um sometimes not uh, a path easily most easily traveled right sometimes you have to really kind of stand up and especially in extreme circumstances like that and i just hope that we have moving forward everything that we've learned and and New Zealand First can get into Parliament and put this COVID inquiry together and then judges can, you know, feel like they can stand up and do the right thing. Um, Yeah. And, you know, in terms of being a hypocrite and, you know, the hypocritical Hollywood actors and what have you, yes, they, I've always regarded myself as an actor, but also a normal person. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a really good line there. As a normal person, and yeah. it, it's an aberration, isn't it? Because there's so many that aren't. Hundred percent. I'm a normal person that likes to act. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not. Uh, you know, Matt Damon, like Team America, World Police, right? So I was accepted at Victoria University to do engineering my first year there, and then go down to Canterbury. That was the plan, but I pulled out. Da da da. So I'm not super stupid. But yeah, I mean, a lot of actors are the last kind of people you would ever want to take advice from. These people are, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but most of the time, these people have major drug addictions. These people uh, come from massively broken homes. Um, uh, These people, a lot of them are really toxic. They have major personal problems. And then it's quite funny, you get paid a lot of money to be on a TV show playing dress up, and all of a sudden everyone goes to you for advice on things. And it's it's ridiculous. It and, really then, and then the narcissism kicks in. Oh yeah. Look, it's it's human nature, right? I mean, you have people fawning and and um all over you and um makeup people and wardrobe people and and all, all these- telling you you're wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's just human nature. And I guess, you know, you you either you either get eaten by that or you you find a way to stay real and and um you realize that it's not about you it's about the people watching the show or the movie or whatever and and that's what you're there for uh, it's the same thing with politics right it's not about absolutely us. it's the same thing with politics because you know I, mean, I always tell politicians when you go in there get used to people telling you you're wonderful right and then look yourself in the mirror every day and tell yourself you're not right because <laughs> because otherwise you're going to fall for all of the, you know, you're having 
ear blown up your butt basically by people um, who don't actually like you. They're just saying it to get into your good graces. But the problem with politicians is they start believing all of this. They believe their own PR. They believe what their uh, what their sycophants are telling them, and they mm-hmm. don't stay real. And the best politicians are those who stay real. You know, they go and read widely. They take advice from many, many different people in the community. They're the ones that are more successful because they stay real. So you've probably got the best training ever of how to deal with that from your entertainment industry to go into politics and to stay real yourself. Well, it wasn't just, um, I actually fell into uh, a different industry in between acting jobs. Um, and I'd always been interested in politics and geopolitics, uh, especially, especially when you're in the United States and all of a sudden the country you're living in is involved in massive wars all over and, you know, troops are being sent in and, and all kinds of things are going on. It's like, whoa, okay, what's going on here? And I think that was a huge turning point for me where I was like, this doesn't add up here. Obama's um, administration using, you know, for example, 500 million of US taxpayer money training moderate rebels, in quotation marks, um, to take on Assad in Syria. And then um, once they spent 500 million of US taxpayer money training them, they all just left and they went and joined Al Qaeda. Um, and ISIS. And and I'm thinking, hmm, that wasn't such a smart move, was it? This is kind of a big fumble. And there's many examples of that. It goes back decades, you know, look at at, uh, Oliver North and the Iran-Contra affair. You know, uh, the the CIA has been funding and fermenting mischief and and civil wars and and revolutions for decades. And, well, the whole thing, about that and about Obama's presidency is um, I disagreed with many things, but you did not disagree with Obama um, if you were in Hollywood, if you were trying to have a horse in that race, because everyone in the industry was just fawning over him and he, he could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, hang on here, you guys are full of it and this is not what's really happening. Um, and that's when I decided like, hey, I, I don't know if this really sits that well with me. Um, this industry and what's being pushed. And that's when I started to kind of expand my horizon and make my own decisions on where I kind of fell politically and ideologically. But it's, yeah, it's a very, very interesting thing. I ended up working in healthcare for a long time in between acting jobs. And How well, ironic, given your, <laughs> your Scotland Street no. career. And yeah, there was a lot of drama um, in real life too. But um you know, during COVID in California, it was a very tough time. Um, and working on kind of the more business side of it um, and working how the, you know, uh, CDC operate, CDPH, um, and, uh, you know, all the health authorities there and what was going on with COVID. And we got it much more uh, ferociously and, and sooner and for a lot longer than New Zealand did. And yeah, it was very interesting, and it was a very rare uh, position to be in as a Kiwi, being at basically one of the big, big cities in the world that's really hit by this mm. and dealing with it. Right, you know, I mean, I was working with COVID patients. We were so short-staffed in the hospital. I was, I was um, having to put on a face mask and N95 and all this kind of stuff and PPE up and go in and have patients cough in your face and all that kind of thing that have COVID. And that was a scary time because it was at the beginning when no one really knew how lethal this thing was or what it really was and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. 
now it's obviously a different world we live in regards to it and our relationship to this. But um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about that and not just, you know, um, but also the business side of it, how to how to keep a business going, you know, um, when you're being ravaged by a pandemic. Um, it's not easy. Especially when the politicians are prescribing various different solutions like lockdowns, uh, you know, mask wearing, all of those sorts of things, which we're never going to stop a respiratory uh, virus like COVID. Yeah, um, I mean, it just shows the panic that sets in. Um, the toilet paper and detergent and everything's flying off the shelves like no tomorrow. Um, and I would walk in there to Target and I would walk in there to, you know, these places and the supermarkets and say, so why would you let everyone come in at six o'clock in the morning and just clear out the shelves? Why don't you put so much out in the morning, so much out in the middle of the day, and so much out in the evening? Well, they didn't change their, their business practices. And they just did it all at night. They all just, okay. And, you know, and then there's more fear and people are panicking because they can't get things. And, you know, it, it, you're, you're right. Um, lockdowns were pushed back against you know by the california people while i was there quite severely we got i think 1.8 million signatures to recall the governor gavin newsom mm. and uh, all of a sudden the lockdowns ended but again it showed you know if you stick together and you actually as people come together and you make your voices heard um you can achieve amazing things and that's what made me go wow you know um you know, being being in that realm is 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 so rewarding and encouraging people to have a voice and to speak up. And you know, being a part of New Zealand First, which, like you say, um, has freedom candidates like myself, Kirsten, Erica, who, and really, we're all freedom candidates because we all want New Zealand to be a free country. We want everyone to be able to have their their voices heard. And um, I never, ever, ever want to see again. A bunch of detached politicians in Parliament sitting there trying to say we're afraid to go out and speak to the people. I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. And I don't ever want to see that happen ever again in this country. Well, they were enabled by the media who were sitting alongside, you know, promulgating the lies that they told. I mean, yeah. you know, that there were Nazis there or there was oh, there was nooses. Oh, oh, there was there was mean words on signs. These people were crying out for help, yeah, and, and they were ignored by every politician currently in the parliament. Yeah, it was um, it was an absolute prime example of just how detached the current lineup is, and how they just don't care. They really don't care. All they care about is the process, the system, and making sure that they have a job. And um, now you're seeing some of the left-wing parties scramble around and um, trying to do everything they can. And it's, you know, it's too late now. You should have done the right thing when you had the opportunity. No, they, they, they had the chance. And they didn't. And that includes the National Party and the ACT Party, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, people accuse me of being a tribal National Party person. And whilst that might have been true in the past, it's certainly not now. I could never bring myself to vote for National Act after their behaviour during the pandemic. Uh, and you know, mm. they were both saying that they would have done everything the same as the Labour Party did, but they would have been but they would have been more efficient at stomping on our rights. 
and oh, they would have been more effective at stomping on our rights, but they would have stomped on our rights nonetheless. You are 100% correct. If anyone out there that is a normal, you know, kind of national voter and that's the way they go and um, if, you know, we need a change, we'll just, you know, go to the other colour. Um, you're sadly mistaken if you think that anything would have been different during COVID if we had had a national government in. Um, and you're right there, Cam, that's exactly what would have happened. Um, but a lot of people, you know, I approach and I talk to them about New Zealand first and all this kind of stuff and where they sit politically. A lot of them go, oh, no, I'm, I'm voting national and we need change. And I go, well, hang on. You know, you do realise that the two big global pieces of uh, declarations that, you know, New Zealand has signed up to, the Paris Climate Accord, right, which is strangling our economy and, and yep. feeding this this uh, climate hysteria, Um and UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, were both signed by National. Yeah. And John UNDRIP. Key. John Key did both. Yes. And I used to be a big fan of John Key. When I was on Shorty Street, I remember bump, literally bumped into him. Um, I walked back into him. We were at a function together. And that was when he just became Prime Minister. And I turned around and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, Prime Minister. And he shook my hand and we had a great conversation. I thought, this guy's great. Um, but then you see, when you realise you know, what what they do and who they hang out with. And you've got John Key playing golf with Obama in Hawaii a lot. and um, Sucking up to the Chinese. And look what happened in America. China, yeah. all the businesses over there, same thing kind of thing. You know, we're not going to be the number one economy, just get over it, get used to it, right? And everyone's just going, oh, okay. Um, and it's the same kind of thing here. And then you had... You know, John Key um, on the morning show a few months ago when all this kind of housing bubble was getting ready to pop and interest rates are climbing up and the cost of living starting. And you know what he said? He said in his twangy Kiwi accent, it is what it is. And I was like, it is what it is? Well, for someone worth like, what, $200 million? Yeah, that might be it is what it is for you, but... That's just the, the most heartless comment. Um, you know, people are upside down on their mortgages. They don't know how they're going to pay them, and people are suffering, and it is what it is. They're, that, they're upside down on their mortgages through no fault of their own. No. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the government is the one that's responsible for rampant inflation in this country. Yes. So they blame it on everybody else but themselves. And but, now interest rates have, have gone massively up. People are – the house values have plummeted. They're, they're upside down, and politicians like John Key say it is what it is. Yeah, and that's exactly the same the same display of empathy in that moment as we had in the beehive with everyone um, refusing to come out and talk to people during that protest. Mm. And um, people are realising now that Labour and National are really, on the global issues, they are one and the same. They just have a thin veil of... One is more pro-business, the other one is more pro kind of bolstering the welfare state, right? And yeah. once you peel that thin layer back and you look on those global issues, like I explained and you explained with how they would have handled COVID and they've admitted that, and also you look at UNDRIP and the Paris Climate Accord, they're in the same, they're on the same team. It's a uni party. Yeah, I always say that one team is heads and the other team is tails on the same coin. Yes. And we and we've had, got into this habit, even with the advent of MMP that was supposed to reward smaller parties and and foster co cooperation 
uh, between parties to get to a majority, we've still ended up with this right, left, heads, tails uh, kind of mentality where we go from one to the other and we actually haven't progressed anything. Um, you know, people say, oh, you know, John Key was a great prime minister. And I always say, okay, now tell me what he did. Tell me the great things that, a lot of stuff that he did. <laughs> well, look, this is what National do. Their priority isn't the people. No, their priority is to maintain the status quo uh, for the benefit of themselves to stay in power for as long as possible. That's the overriding concern of the National Party. Well, and the Labour Party's overriding concern is to undo the excesses of the National Party, put some more excesses on in place from their point of view, because they know that the National Party won't undo it because they're the party of status quo. And so we end up lurching ever further into socialism and mm-hmm. ever further closer to uh, to communism for no benefit for the people. Well, you're you're right there, and and you know, and I'm quite proud to be calling out the Greens every time we do a meet candidates down here in Hutt South when they talk about their wealth taxes and universal payments for everyone, and we all need to go do our supermarket shopping on bicycles and public transport, and and I just I just don't let them get away with it, um, and yeah, it's 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 scary, and you know, and you got a party like that that is um, trying to play Robin Hood. And not for the right reasons. They're trying to play Robin Hood, so they become a middleman, much like the Maori Party. You need us, otherwise you can't um, survive in this world that is unfair. Ultimately, to you, you're a victim, and you need us. We need to be the middleman. And New Zealand First just doesn't subscribe to that victim mentality. You know, we want everyone to flourish. We don't want people like the Maori Party or the Greens to try and play Robin Hood and to take fish off wealthy people and go give fish to, you know, um, people less fortunate and say, look, see, he's got too many fish. I'll give you fish. Here's one a day for the rest of my term. We understand New Zealand first. If you teach everyone to fish, we can all do well. Mm. And that's what New Zealand first wants. We want the whole country to do well, and we want hand ups, not handouts. You know, New Zealand was the great egalitarian you know, paradise where Jack was as good as his master. You had people leave school with no qualifications that were able to rise up, become, you know, powerful politicians, media personalities, top sports people. It didn't matter what your background was, you could succeed in this country. And yeah. I think one of the greatest lies that has ever been told to the New Zealand public is that if you just stay at school and get a qualification, and it doesn't matter what sort of qualification. It is. And then when you leave school and go and do some more tertiary thing and have some of these rubbish degrees that are out there, you know, in womble type subjects, uh, that you're all going to be somehow better off when in actual fact, the people who are actually doing well and keeping this country going are those who left school early, went and got a trade, uh, are our tradies, our business people, um, small business owners, plumbers, electricians, builders, all of those kinds of people that make and do things with their hands. They're the greatest Kiwis that this country's ever seen, not a whole bunch of you know, woke individuals that have studied some liberal arts degree and then graduated into politics to lecture all of us on how w- the world can be this wonderful place if we all just get along. Yeah, look, I, I won't take any offence to that because I did study a BA at Toifakati, but um, <laughs> uh, 
don't, again, I'm a real person that likes to act. So yeah, I have a talent for it and, and, and a love for it. But my father's a builder. He's as offensive as they come. So he only knows two words and they start with the letter F and, and, and the letter C. Mm. Uh, and my brother's a plumber. And you're right, you know, one of my best mates left school at 15. Yeah. And uh, basically was doing a, uh, you know, the old school C English on of mice and men and told them to stick it where the sun don't shine and left school. Yep. Uh, now he's a multimillionaire. So, you know, these this is the truth of it. You don't need to indoctrinate yourself with this kind of woke ideology and um, with your genders and pronouns at the bottom of an email and this kind of wacky world that we're starting to go into. And, you know, we want to go back to a New Zealand where anyone can go as far as they want and we just want to make it a level playing field for everybody. Um, and we want to, we want education, not indoctrination, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's what we're finding. And some of the, you know, the funny thing is, and it's sad, it's not really funny. It's, it's, it's funny, kind of weird rather than ha ha. But yeah. a lot of the people pushing back on the word woke and New Zealand first stance on confronting that and also taking gender ideology out of schools for primary school kids, a lot of the people that are trying to press me on it at Meet the Candidates are teenage kids that are in school. Yeah, they're sick of it. And I stood up. Well, no, 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 actually advocate for I'm it. Pushing back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, what do you mean about this? What do you mean? Da, 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 da? And it's like, and I stood up last night, I was at one, and I just said, look, folks, it's not the young gentleman's fault. He's a victim of this. He's had all this woke ideology rammed into his head, and now he's triggered and now he 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 thinks that what we're saying is wrong and 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 all the ists, you know. And yep. uh, and I said he's actually a victim, and I feel sorry for you, mate. And I explained it the best I could to him. Yeah. And, um. But yeah, it's it's sad what's happening to our youth. They're being brainwashed, and that's why this current government can't win an election with adults voting. So they want to lower the age to sixteen, which New Zealand First is absolutely opposed to. You I mean, know, you think about it from a, from just what we're seeing in society, right? They want 16-year-olds to vote, but but a lot of 16-year-olds can't work out whether they're Arthur or Martha. So exactly. how are they going to how are they going to learn to vote? You know, for for a party, uh, understand the policies, all of those sorts of things, or or is it just the plan that we're going to have a whole bunch of unthinking, indoctrinated people that have been infected by union woke? Liberal ideology by the soaking wet teachers that are that are infesting our schools, oh, yeah. uh, and it just happens by osmosis that they then become these liberal automatons that just vote Labour or Green. Hundred percent, and that's that's the only reason they're doing it. They're not trying to do it to be fair. Everything they do is about power, mm. and um, they're the most power hungry people you'll ever come across and that's left-wing politicians and they will do whatever it takes to retain power and um they're vicious they're absolutely vicious and um they want to indoctrinate our youth and they want to brainwash them with all this kind of stuff and um and then go take whole classes i would assume you know and all go vote together you know for their friends on the left and it's sad and i said at great power the other day this caused a lot of a lot of uproar um, mainly from the left candidates, not the grey power people. They were cheering. But I said, look, maybe in your day, you know, folks, I said, you know, when in your day, 
16-year-olds were a lot more switched on than the 16-year-olds today. Um, I said an example of this is you look at a car owner's manual today. Now it tells people not to drink the battery acid. I said in the day, it showed you how to do a valve clearance adjustment. And I said, I think that proves my point, right? And look at all the stuff, trends with teenagers now. Now they're putting laundry detergent pods in their mouth and bursting them. And kids are having like major problems and they're all doing it to get attention on TikTok and all this mind-numbing stuff. It's just it's just appalling. And, and I just, yeah, I feel sorry for our youth today. They're just being manipulated and indoctrinated. So we want to get away from that. We, New Zealand First wants to give our kids a real fighting chance to make an impact on the world and, and, and get a real education. Yeah, that's the real shame, isn't it? The degradation of our can-do attitude in New Zealand. You know, in, in 1944, we had 18-year-olds charging off landing craft on the D-Day beaches into German machine gun nests and assaulting the beaches uh, in Normandy. Nowadays, 18-year-olds need safe spaces and uh, and need to be told how to, how to speak people's pronouns and things like that. It's just insane, but it's insidious and it creeps everywhere. You know, you mentioned earlier about these letters that, you know, have got uh, people's pronouns in the, you know, at the base of the letter or they're saying, nah, me, he, this or, or that. You know, and what do I do when I get a letter from a government agency usually in response to an OAA request or something like that, that, that goes on about Namihi and Tanakwe and all of that. Well, I was born in Fiji, so I just reply to them with, um, you know, Bula Vanaka and Vanaka Vakalevu. And just watching them reply to that, it unhinges them. It's the arrogance of these government departments. We're going to do this. We're going to say these things in our emails and our correspondence because that's what we need to do to honour the treaty. But forgetting that they're interacting with people that aren't from New Zealand uh, or have a different ethnic background, but we're just being uh, having this Maori wonderfulness chucked down our throats, whether we like it or not. And so that's my little way of pushing back, telling them, well, I'm actually from Fiji. I call myself a Fijian. Uh, well, I don't call myself a Kiwi. Yeah, well, look, you know, good on you for standing up to... Um, you know, the wokeness, right? That's the the woke virus that's kind of trying to seep into everyone's mind. Uh, but look, further on that, and you touched on it about Te Reo Māori, and I, I studied Te Reo Māori at high school, um, school certificate, and studied it for three years, third, fourth, and fifth form, and really opened my eyes to a lot. And and I am very, very proud, and I know New Zealand First is very proud of, of Māori culture in this country. And every time I watch the All Blacks, do the haka. It might not be the haka that I, I want them to do, but um, mm. you know, it gives me goosebumps every time. And I'm absolutely proud to call myself a Kiwi and there's nothing like it. But it's exactly what the Right Honourable Winston Peters said to me about Te Reo Māori. And he said to me, look, Lee, we want Te Reo Māori to be available to anyone in this country that wants to learn it. And we want to make sure the resources are there. But he said to me, you can't ram it down everyone's throat. Otherwise, what you get is you get resentment. Mm. And that's what we don't want. We don't want Kiwis who start resenting certain cultures because it's forced on them. That will do more harm than good. And now you're seeing people switch off from One News, for example, because TVNZ and One News is a prime example of forcing it down everybody's throat. And um, and yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So it's only 
few short weeks till the election, voting has started. Uh, what's your final message to radio, reality check radio listeners that are out there about how they can change the government? Yeah, thank you, Cam. Um, look, I, I would just say to anyone listening that being on this side of the fence, um, you know, being in the political arena, you guys have so much power, the voter more power than you realize and it's like the right honorable winston peter says you know we are your servants and you are the masters and that's how new zealand first sees this this is a, a very very important election most people listening to your station will know this already but i will say it's a strategic vote i would make the case to anyone on the freedom side to Party vote New Zealand first because we have the experience, the know-how to get policies over the line. And we have a big freedom contingent in our party that wants to see this COVID inquiry go ahead, that wants to see people held accountable. And also for anyone that doesn't like national, that is learning, go look up UNDRIP, go look up the Paris Climate Accord, go have a look at the record of the National Party, go look into BlackRock, go look into China wanting to come here and their Belt and Road program and what they will want from us. New Zealand First is against this. And anyone that is usually a Labour voter that can never go right wing, act or national, I would plead to you, you can have a horse in this race because Labour will be sitting in opposition and you won't have a voice. They won't be able to do anything. So if you want a horse in the race and you want to check the right wing pendulum swing and you want to protect our assets and you want uh, to protect our vulnerable and our elderly, party vote New Zealand first and we can make sure we're the handbrake for those things because the cost cuttings that are coming are going to be harsh and it's going to be, it's going to be ruthless and, and we're going to protect New Zealand from those. Um, and the other thing too, a lot of people that are thinking about New Zealand first or ACT, I would say, look, again, if you don't want to see our assets sold off, if you don't want to see privatization of everything and you want to retain money in this country, party vote New Zealand first. If you want to don't act or also quite far left socially, David Seymour has been on Reality Check Radio, the station, saying, well, what's wrong with Drag Queen Story Hour? What's wrong with RSE in schools? So parties like that are not just all to the right. They're actually socially quite left. So if you want to check those far left policies as well in government and you want to say, hey, this is not who we are, we want this stuff out of our primary schools, party vote New Zealand first. We can check both the privatisation and also this far left kind of woke ideology. We can do so much for you. And that's a, a party political broadcast there from Lee Donoghue to, <laughs> to, wind, to wind up the, I know I invited it, but, you know, um, but, you know I wish you all the best, Lee, in the, uh, in the coming election. And uh, if if the freedom voters can uh, see a way forward uh, for New Zealand First, they're already over the five percent. With the extra few percent, get to eight, nine, or ten percent, there'll be some freedom candidates in Parliament that have strong credentials there of fighting for the freedoms that uh, our listeners all enjoy. So I uh, thank you for coming on the crunch today. It's been most enlightening, especially hearing about the liberal elite uh, controlling Hollywood and and all the messages that, that come out of there. And I appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome, Cam. Thank you for having me on. What I find astonishing is how so many candidates feel compelled to stand in this most important of elections. I really love talking to all these candidates 
And Lee has a real chance, along with the other three Freedom candidates, of getting into Parliament. If New Zealand first get 8%, Erica Harvey is there. At 8.8%, Kirsten Murphy will join her. And at a bit under 10%, you can add Lee Donoghue to the list. Tell me your thoughts on what Lee had to say by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Join us on a special webinar for a night of politics with your favourite political commentators as we track the votes coming in and catch up with various parties around the country. Our election night party is online from 6.45pm on election day, Saturday 14 October. We're going to have an interesting night that night. We'll have various hosts coming in. I'll be checking in from Northland. Peter Williams will be checking in from Europe. We're going to record absolutely everything that we can in an election night webinar. You can find out more and secure your spot by visiting our website at realitycheck.radio forward slash election dash party. That's realitycheck.radio forward slash election dash party. And a reminder, foundation members will receive a complimentary invite direct to your inbox. If you're not yet a member, consider joining. Otherwise, grab your ticket at realitycheck.radio forward slash election dash party. Now I'm going to delve into the intriguing developments in the political landscape as reflected by the recent One News Varian poll results. The trend is crystal clear. New Zealand First is on the rise, while national support appears to be shrinking. Winston Peters and his New Zealand First Party have made significant gains, surging by 1% to reach 6% in the One News Varian poll. That's a gain of 1% in just one week. This boost has brought them comfortably above the parliamentary threshold, securing their position in the next government if this trend continues. And this marks a remarkable turnaround for the party that it was languishing at 3% just a few months ago. On the flip side, though, the National Party has seen a decline of 1%, dropping to 36% in these latest poll results. And if these numbers hold, National would secure 45 seats, well short of the 61 needed to form a government. And the ACT Party only gives them enough seats to get to 60, meaning that Christopher Luxon will find himself seeking support from New Zealand First. On the other side, though, they face even bigger challenges, with the Labour Party continuing its gradual decline down 1% to 26%, and that results in just 33 projected MPs. It would also mean there would be no list MPs for the Labour Party. So Grant Robertson and David Parker and some other senior Labour Party MPs would be out of a job. The Greens, however, have seen a slight uptick of 1% to 13%, and to party Maori has slid another 1% down to 2%, which would give them two seats, and it leaves that block very short of the 61 needed for a coalition. The poll also says that the minnow parties aren't getting anywhere. But it was notable that New Conservatives and NZ Loyal were recorded in this poll, 
but at just 1%. So those 2 million votes that Liz Gunn is claiming for her party must be some part of some sort of psyop where their supporters are telling fibs to the pollsters so they can surprise us all on polling day. Sadly, though, that is a fantasy. Now, I watched the debate last night, so you didn't have to talk about an unedifying spectacle, one where Chris Hipkins constantly shouted down Christopher Luxon, interrupted and performed like a naughty child in a desperate need of a pat on the back low enough and hard enough to make him start. The debate was about as illuminating as a candle in a howling gale at midnight, and we learned nothing other than Chris Hipkins likes to talk a lot about national, make wisecracks, and whine like a dive bomber over the target. Christopher Luxon, and trust me, I'm no fan of his, acted much more prime ministerial. I don't think a bag of weed would have made this debate even remotely interesting, but the benefit would be not having to look at it through the purple haze. Chris Hipkins at times was caught on camera looking like a gormless bobblehead. The way he leaves his mouth open and bobbles around makes him look like he's auditioning for the role of a flycatcher. And at times he puckered up his mouth so much as he reacted to Luxon's inane babbling that he resembled a cat's bum. Overall, though, Luxon definitely won this debate. I can't stand him, but he kept his cool and was hitting the balls well. Hipkins acted like a truculent teen trying to fire shots against a reasonable parent that doesn't take the bait. Sadly, we were not enlightened by anything other than these two seem to agree about an awful lot and are merely arguing over how they'd implement something. One thing we know for sure, though, is that Christopher Luxon gave an emphatic no to compensating vax-injured people, and that makes him a firm no for me. Only one more debate, thankfully. And I think that these TV debates, time has passed. They don't add anything to the political discourse, and they just take up an awful lot of time and are ultimately annoying to the viewers. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR. Tauranga lawyer Kirsten Murphy is standing for New Zealand first in the Bay of Plenty electorate this year. Kirsten qualified as a commercial and property lawyer after graduating from the University of Auckland in 1999 and has worked at some of the top law firms in Auckland and Australia. Kirsten returned to private practice at a family-friendly law firm in 2011 on the North Shore in Auckland before relocating to family to Tauranga in 2015 and starting her own firm a year later. Kirsten is deeply concerned about the erosion of democracy in New Zealand and feels it is time to restore true democratic process both locally in Tauranga and in Wellington for all New Zealanders. Kirsten is with me now. Kirsten Murphy, welcome to The Crunch. Hi Cam, thank you so much for having me on. Well, you're a difficult person to get hold of and I understand you're, you're flat out campaigning and everything and you're um, picking and choosing which media you talk to, especially after Radio New Zealand decided to hunt you down and try and doorstep you for some comments about, apparently, your conspiracy theory tendencies. Oh, yeah, it was interesting that um, I felt like I was being stalked, actually, and I didn't realise at the time they were recording me, but as always, I'm always very professional. Mm. Um, so I think their biggest complaint was my New Zealand First business card didn't have my mobile number on it. 
<laughs> and my mobile number is actually readily available on KM Law's website. Well, we didn't have any problem finding your mobile number or your email address. So Radio New Zealand's researchers clearly are not as good as reality check radios. I couldn't comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, was, I listened to that crazy podcast or news story that Radio New Zealand ran, you know, breathlessly talking about how New Zealand First has been infiltrated by conspiracy theorists. And one of the people that they interviewed in there had this like talking or, or tweeting bird. And they spent, you know, a minute or two talking about this bird and how it's upset because it's refeathering itself. And, well, and, I'm actually just very the, concerned about democracy in New Zealand and the erosion of democracy and the trajectory our country's on. So I'm sorry I don't have a parrot in the background. No, but but it, it does raise an interesting question. They're accusing people like yourself uh, and, and many, many others of being you know, conspiracy theorists. They've got these other crazies on the radio from you know, the Disinformation Project. Uh, they've got that Sanjana Hatawera and Kate Hanger uh, wringing her hands about this conspiracy theory and people infiltrating political parties. But isn't the real threat to democracy our media now? Absolutely. And the media was responsible with the government back in 2020 of creating a state of absolute hysteria. Fear. Fear I mean, to be completely honest with you, I did wash my cans. And I look back on that and actually, (laughs) I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, how... How did I even think that germs could stay on a can? But the reason I was so paranoid was my husband had just gone into remission from leukemia and then his kidney disease had just started. So I was just so terrified that if I was to bring it home, it would Mm. kill him. Yeah. But as he said so many times, like, he's a grown man. He can look after himself. He didn't want the country to be locked down. He was quite capable of looking after himself. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, the the media is... Responsible they, for a lot. Yeah, I mean, they were uh, Jacinda Ardern's handmaidens in reality. Yeah. Uh, they and, they rammed home the messaging that they wanted, which was to basically lock up a healthy population on the basis of one case in New Zealand. A probable, wasn't it? Mm, Rather than exactly. an actual case. Yeah. Um, also, if I do recall correctly, wasn't uh, stuff sold for one dollar? Yeah. I would have put it for $1. If it had gone for tender, I would have actually paid more than $1 for it, so they would have got a better deal. Maybe $10. And it just seems very strange that they follow that agenda and narrative ever since. Yeah. Well, that is exactly right. You know, the stuff and uh, are one of the largest beneficiaries of the public interest journalism fund. Mm. And, and it didn't seem to me that much of what they were producing from that fund was either in the public interest or journalism. So I'm wondering when we get that money back. Exactly. I just want the fourth estate back, <laughs> the media to start actually doing their job, to be independent, to look at both sides of the story and actually hold the government to account. That is their job. It's also the job of uh, minor parties, really, to be the contrarian voice, mm. isn't it? Yeah, and I think we've really seen in the last three years where New Zealand First as a minor party hasn't been in parliament, what can go wrong? It's very hard to prove how they've stopped various things going ahead. Mm. But, we, I mean, there's no debate that the last three years so much has been fast-tracked and so much legislation has been put through stealthily, 
submissions have not been listened to, the deadlines for submissions are often unreal. So there is no, it's just a tick the box, we've consulted, we've listened to the people, move on. But it would seem to me in many cases they've already made up their minds. Well, I mean, there's a couple of key areas that affect me personally uh, where consultation, you know, they 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 laud it as being important. And then it's you see it, it's like you've got five days to submit. And, mm. you know, particularly on firearms laws and things like that five days to submit, and then the overwhelming weight of the submissions mm. from the public are against what the proposals are, and yet they ram them through anyway. So you well, have to say, wonder why you bothered even submitting. Exactly. And like the Therapeutic Drugs uh, Products Act, sorry, I mean, there was over 8,000 submissions and they still pushed through the act. But I can't understand what the problem is that they're trying to solve with that. I've really tried to grapple with that bill, maybe you could inform the listeners about what they were trying to solve and whether the bill is going to even get close to solving that particular problem, if there even was a problem. I don't believe there was a problem. I've been taking vitamin C my whole life. (laughs) I take other supplements as well. I've never had an issue. I've never heard of anyone overdosing. That doesn't mean that it hasn't happened, but it's a very unlikely event. Hmm. So what they're doing is actually going to be adding more red tape, which is actually only going to increase the cost of these natural supplements, which you, as a lawyer, you sort of look at a whole lot of different questions and you're like, well, why is this happening? Has Big Pharma via the vaccine got more influence over our government than we actually realise? And that is just a question rather than a statement. But that's what a lawyer's job is to do, Mm. is to actually ask questions. And that's what I've been doing it's a journalist for the job last too. three years, yeah. It's a journalist's job too to ask questions. They don't seem to be asking very many questions and making some quite bold statements, twisting facts. I mean, I had a quick skim read of that stuff article. I'm not actually not really interested in it. I'm more interested in actually saving our country because I am so concerned about what's happening. Mm. But they did make a reference to, they were trying to say that I thought that people that had, had the jab weren't human, which I found very, very bizarre. Like, why would I say that? Um, I'm very much about freedom of choice. If you wish to take it, take it. If you don't, you shouldn't be forced into it and coerced. And I think most New Zealanders will agree with that. And most New Zealanders weren't for the mandates. But one example, because I managed to find it on Telegram, Mm. because there are like a whole lot of different pollies on there. Mm. Um, There are like posts from years and years ago. So it's actually very hard to find things. But I'd posted an article to the Nature Journal, one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world. And I forwarded that. And at the top of it, the reason I forwarded it was there was a chart. So there was an extract from the journal, which was looking at the impact of the vaccine. And the person that had originally wrote it said something about people not being human. But that's not what I said. I just forwarded an article, and then that's how much stuff twists things. So I do actually believe I had a really good case of defamation there, but I'm just sort of putting that in the back pocket moment and just considering my options. Well, I'm a bit of an expert on defamation now, having having been sued three times, but uh, it's the process is the punishment, not Mm. the actual finding of the defamation. Yeah, um, you know, it's the whole process that they put you through. Um, but you know, would you get anywhere with stuff? It's worth a dollar. Maybe it's worth fifty cents now. 
Well, I'm not sure what it's actually worth. It was worth a dollar back then. (laughs) What's it worth now? Um, I don't think I'd actually tie up the court's time. I mean, it's nice to think about these things, but I've actually got bigger picture stuff that I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. So if they want to be, you know, schoolyard, I mean, I grew up my whole life, ginger nut, carrot top, ginger nut, carrot top. I'm used to it from a very young age. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just nice to have it in my back pocket knowing that if I need to use it, I can use it, but I don't think I'm going to tie up the court's time. I want to get into Parliament and actually start reeling back what this government's done in the last three years. You know, you you raise, you know, things that you were called when you were at school. And, you know, with with my surname, Slater, you can imagine what I was called at school. Well, my, um, my surname's Murphit, so I got Smurfit as well. Oh, right. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> But, you know, my dear mother always used to say to me, I'd come home and say, you know, kids were saying mean things to me. She'd say, don't worry about it, they're dicks. Yeah. You know, and my um, dad was the same, sticks and, and stones. Yeah, sticks and stones. And when did that cease to be relevant? You know, we've got people who are outraged if you don't use correct pronouns. And now they're, I mean, we're, we're watching at the moment unfolding a stuff, seeing as we're talking about stuff, a stuff journalist that has doxed a person who tweeted anonymously for reasons of their job and going after their job. And now the trans activists are now also doxing that person and going Mm. after their job. When did journalists uh, see fit to pursue people on the basis of wrong think and wrong speak and try and cost people their jobs? It's insane where we've got to. And when did sticks and stones cease to be relevant? I'm not sure, but it's become, everyone's become so precious. And in the world and in a democracy, we're all different and that's the way it should be. And they've taken away the right to debate. I remember when I was young, my dad was a lawyer as well. We would have debate around the table. Mm. And I used to have to watch all the political debates, which I thought were really boring when I was little. But (laughs) I'm so glad that he made me do that. And I'm so glad that he taught me to be tough and not to worry about names. I mean, I've got a special needs son and we face discrimination every day and I've had to advocate for him since the day he was born. Mm. But that's real discrimination. And I mean, people will still use the R word and I don't particularly like it, but I'm not going to start crying over it or, yeah, going Mm. after someone for their job. Your upbringing is similar to mine, where I was encouraged as a child to participate in debates and discussions with politicians that were around our dinner table, you know, and Mm -hmm. and I can name them going all the way back to Muldoon, just about Mm -hmm. every prime minister I've sat there and argued with, uh, cabinet ministers, other MPs, uh, you know, they were always in and around our house and my parents never told me to shut up. They never sent me away. They, They included me in the discussion. And so I learned at a very young age that if you're talking to people, you're getting somewhere. And if you stop talking to people, then you're creating silos of information, silos of ideas with no cross-pollination. And, you know, that's where I've seen, you know, Winston Peters talking about freedom of expression Mm -hmm. and why he went down to the Wellington protest, not to grandstand and make a speech and speechify or do anything for the media, but to listen and to talk. Yeah, absolutely. There's a great saying that belief is the enemy of all knowledge. Mm. And debates are great because you come in with one perspective 
and you listen to the other person, which Winston is very good at listening, mm. and you learn and you actually develop that knowledge. But when you've just got this belief and you can't see past it, you're not going to get anywhere. So, I mean, I've just been so impressed with Winston, one coming down to Wellington. I remember him seeing this old man in the crowd and I was like, everyone's like, who's that? And then everyone's on their phones sort of saying, it's Winston, it's Winston. And there was just this excitement in the village and he didn't want cameras. He doesn't like the fanfare. He just quietly goes about it. And there's some stuff I'm aware of at the moment, which I can't say publicly. It's all good stuff. Mm. But he really, he sits down and listens and he considers and he's quite able to change his mind or progress because he's not stuck in belief. He is after knowledge and the truth. Well, you know, that's what I've found with Winston and, you know, him and I catch up every now and then uh, just on the quiet. We don't make a song and dance about it. We sit mm-hmm. there and we just talk. And, you know, we've been known to talk for hours, yeah. the, two, the, the two of us, about <laughs> Everything going back in history, you know, his knowledge in politics. His intellect is amazing. Is vast. You know, he's quoting people that, you know, I I know what he's talking about, but I can't remember the exact quote, but he's quoting it, you know, directly. And we just sit there and talk. And then, you know, the funny thing that I find is a couple of days later or even a couple of weeks later, I see him say something at a public meeting or put out a press release. And the things that I was arguing with him about mm-hmm. and we were disagreeing on, he's now picked those up and adopted them without making a fanfare out of it, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I better go and have a few more of these chats with Winston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the party is so much about democracy. So when I did my first um, interview with a few of the board members, mm. they did say, like, we're a real democratic party. And you've heard that so many times. I sort of went, yeah, we'll see. But when I went along to conference, it was amazing, like with the remits, like reading them and having actually full-on debates with the members and then would mm. vote for or no or for an amendment. And then everyone would go out for their morning tea and like no one was upset because it's just part of the culture of New Zealand first is to debate. And you just, yeah, sip your cup of tea and have like small chat. And then you go back into the room and have these big feisty debates again. And that's how I see a democracy should work. Exactly. That's exactly how it should work. And, you know, the big parties used to do that. The National Party used to have remit Mm. discussions. I can remember going to dozens of conferences in the National Party where they'd debate remits and have people from different opposing views on things and and having Mm. these big Donnybrooks inside the party. And these big parties seem to have excised that from their culture. Uh, They're now show pieces and set pieces. And you have to adhere to whatever the leader says is what they're going to believe in. In the case of Christopher Luxon, it's an unchallenged belief that climate change is man-made and uh, completely uh, able to be fixed through taxation, because mm-hmm. that's the only solution we're ever given, <laughs> right? Yeah. And many, many other things that are taken as doctrine within the parties now without having that robust debate that formulates what the actual policy will be because of input from members. Yeah, it's so important to have the input from members. But not only that, we're the only party that allows the press to come into conference, film it, like we're so transparent. Mm. We've got nothing to hide. And I think maybe because Winston 
was a lawyer, I mean, I think he's still got his practicing certificate. He, he does. That he's used to debate. He's used to looking at things from different perspectives and then coming to conclusions rather than having a conclusion and working backwards. Um, so, yeah, that's the foundation of the party, and I think that's why I really feel that I've found my political home. Did that, I'm just loving it. Did, did that sort of I, – um, I know you were previously in Democracy NZ. Mm-hmm. Have you had any other political involvement in other parties prior to no, Democracy NZ? Um quite asleep. I just was so busy doing life. Mm that I didn't pay that much attention, always voted national, (laughs) 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 which is strange to to say now. Um, But no, I hadn't. I'd run for the DHB in 2016 because I was very concerned about the health system back then because obviously having a child with a disability, we spent a lot of time in and out of Starship when he was little. So I think we spent three months in Starship when he was five months old. So I wanted to do that and I campaigned quite well I just got missed out by two, but mm-hmm. everyone was like, that's great for your first campaign, fantastic, next time go for it. But then my husband got sick, so I just didn't have the time at that point. Yeah. So your first foray into politics was Democracy New Zealand, and you famously left Democracy Well, New six Zealand. of us left following yeah. the funder and nine others at the start of the year and a lot of volunteers in between. And now you've sort of... Worked, worked into New Zealand first, and you're in what I would describe as a winnable list position. What is yeah, it? Absolutely. What, what does the what does New Zealand first need to get you into Parliament? I understand it's eight point eight percent of the party vote, and given the polls, I think that is very achievable. We have a history of a surge as we go into election day. Yeah. Although a lot of the votes are actually cast. I think it's October the 2nd, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So 8.8%, ironically, that's what ACT is sitting on in the latest poll that was uh, published the other day uh, with News Hub. Mm-hmm. They get 11 MPs, you're number 11 on the list. So at yes. 8.8%, if, uh, if the people who back you from the freedom movement lock in their support in behind New Zealand first, then you're in Parliament. Well, it's interesting. I was talking to a person, to say a person, from one of the major parties the other day at one of the debates, mm. and they actually said, "Look, you've got a real chance of getting in." And mm. I said, "Yeah, I think so." And they did say they said no because one, the polls, you can never completely trust them, and they're sort of surging. But they said also, you know, you're going to have the advantage of the wasted vote as well. And I was just like, I didn't expect that to come from them, but they obviously love the wasted vote as well. Well, you know, at the last election, 2020 election, I think the wasted vote delivered an extra five seats to the Labour Party. Yeah. And three seats to the National Party and one each to the Greens and, and someone else. But uh, So that's what I'm sort of saying to people. Yeah. If you, you might not like Winston, but Winston's only one part of the party. It's mm. actually run by caucus and the members. Even if there's 60% that you like, He's probably the only realistic option of getting a voice into Parliament. And do you want National being the government without a New Zealand first handbrake? I don't. No, neither do I. So people just, I mean, there's lots of people out there that are doing things from the bottom of their heart, 
very aspirational, but we've got two and a half weeks left to go. Mm. We need to get realistic. So if you want a voice in Parliament, then New Zealand First, in my opinion, is the only choice. In terms of freedom voters, there's three candidates at 10, 11 and 12 Mm. that would be classed as freedom voters. What about Casey? <laughs> oh, well, Casey is number three. So, yeah. so let's let's put that, let's say there's four in there, right? Um, at 8.8, at you at number 11 is in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at just a bit over nine, Lee Donahue gets in there. Mm-hmm. And at 8.8, of course, it brings in Erica Harvey as well. Yes. That's a, a good core of solid freedom candidates that would have an influence on a caucus that's, you know, that's it's almost a third of caucus if you include Casey, uh, Casey as well. It's mm-hmm. a third of caucus. Are you going to get a third of caucus with any other party? I don't think so. And even though other people not might not be outspoken, mm. people are aware of what has happened in New Zealand in the last three years, and I've been welcomed into the top 15. Yeah. Like there was no one sort of like, wow, there's this horrible article about you. They've defended me. They wrapped themselves around me. Mm. It was the people in the freedom movement that were making the big fuss saying Winston's not standing up for you, which actually wasn't the case. We were just going, weren't going to add fuel to the fire. And he came out quite strongly last week to Sean Plunkett. Do you think that some people in the freedom movement are a little too pure? I think... Because of what the government has done, creating all the hysteria, Mm. people having to find their own information, not trusting, actually seeing that the government has lied, whether it's been willingly or not, there is a lot of distrust in Parliament. So I don't think they're actually thinking practically. Mm. They're very set on what they think things should be. And that's great, but that's not actually the reality we're operating in. So they need to actually come back to reality. And if they want to create what they think is the right way to do it, you've got to have good people in Parliament, and it's going to take years. Like no one walks into Parliament and changes the world in a day. It just doesn't happen. And we're going to have to start with the biggest problems first and then work our way back. So, I mean, some people are concerned that I'm going to have to take an oath. And... For me, there's way bigger problems in the world. But you're a lawyer. You have to take an oath almost every day. (laughs) You you have to honour an oath every day. Yes. Right? So I don't understand that. And, like, you know, it it drives me to distraction that there seems to be this focus on these ideas that are just not relevant to New Zealand, talking about all sorts of you know, actions around the world and and beliefs. Take, for example, the sovereign citizen argument. Mm. Superficially, I agree with it that, you know, an individual is sovereign. It's paramount in terms of some of the aspects of our Bill of Rights, particularly when it comes to medical treatment, which was ignored by by Mm. the government, ignored by the Human Rights Commission, ignored by the judiciary. And they're taking it to this a whole new extension we're saying, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm a sovereign citizen. Well, that just sounds crazy to to the average punter out there, and they can't grasp that. And so that means that whatever good things those people have to say 
about anything, it gets colored by those out there on the limb type of ideas. And therefore, the good ideas they have don't get listened to. Yeah, that's probably quite true. I mean, the media's also done the same with me. They've taken, they're trying to color me and taint my reputation. Yeah. Yeah, but as I say to people, with the sovereign person, at the end of the day, we've got to look who holds the power in society. That's right. So just holding up a piece of paper, and we saw this down in Wellington, it didn't stop what happened, did it? No. Can't stop a baton with a piece of paper. No. And that's the problem with the state. It has these coercive powers, and they also control the judiciary. Mm, And there's just been absolute overreach, and that's why we need to get into the belly of the beast, so to speak, to actually bring it back. (laughs) And we're a centralist party, so we're very much about common sense, not extremist ideas. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? The wasp nest, it, what, mm. what people call the beehive, yeah. wasp nest. In order to, to destroy a wasp nest, you actually have to get right into it mm. and, and dig it out from the inside. You can't kill it from the outside. It's very difficult to do that. It, it, that well, we've seen that. We've protested. I don't know how many open letters I've written to government. We've been to court. We achieved very little. I think with the Freedom Village, we actually did achieve the dropping of the traffic light system because there was enough public pressure and just so many people of different walks of life came to that village. Yeah. People that had taken the vaccine, people that hadn't taken the vaccine, but we were all standing there at anti the mandates. Like this was just not right. This is not the New Zealand that we were brought up in. This is not why three of my great uncles lost their lives in the war fighting for democracy. And, and that's, you know, that's what prompted me to go to Wellington as well and spend some, you know, I didn't spend the whole time there. I had a, mm. you know, my job to to look after, but also. I think most people did. Exactly. But but there was plenty of people cycling through there because they believed in, in what they were standing for, what we were standing for, what we were fighting for. Mm. And, you know, I, my great-grandfather uh, was terribly disabled in Gallipoli. Uh, my father-in-law uh, fought in Vietnam, standing up for these principles of democracy. And yet when we get a little bug that comes into the country, democracy went out the window. It disappeared. Mm-hmm. You know, we almost nearly didn't have an election in 2020, you know, because, so scary, because of like lockdowns. They, they could have done it. And, and most New Zealanders would have gone, oh, well, you know, let's just, let's just delay, it, delay it. It won't matter. I could have well, seen that easily happening. Well, they've done it in Tauranga. I can't vote for my council. <laughs> Well, you I mean, know, they've just extended that, haven't they? So I think it's for the CEO, not the actual election, but I've got yeah. to look into it. it. But it seems that our freedoms, uh, our democracy, all the things that people fought and died for were thrown out the window with enormous speed. Mm. And the institutions that are supposed to be a bulwark against that, our courts, our Human Rights Commission said nothing. Did and that's what nothing. really surprised me as a lawyer, and I'm a commercial property lawyer, I'm not a litigator, but I have a sense of justice. Yeah. And so when I put my little head up and my husband wasn't too happy about that, he's like, you'll get shot down. And I have been. <laughs> I'm still taking the shots and the hits. I was so surprised that my colleagues didn't stand with me. There were so few of us actually standing up. But yet people in the background, I had another person yesterday who's 
in-house counsel at a very large well-known um, company reaching out to me just saying how much how proud he was of me of standing up if he could support me in the background but still was too afraid to actually stand up as a lawyer when did they get this power over us why can't we stand up for injustice and that's where I see a little bit of me in Winston he's always stood up when there's been injustice and hasn't been concerned about the consequences you just do what's right and that's what I've been doing in the last three years as well that's exactly right. There are very few politicians that will do what's right for the country. Uh, there's very few people who will. But they're there for stand. the people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. They're supposed to be there for the people. You they're know. meant to be representatives. <laughs> but they aren't. It's all in the language. <laughs> we, we, we saw that, though, and, you know, You'd have Jacinda Ardern would come down and talk to some rowdy school kids who are waving some placards and, and bunked off school because they want to save the planet. Mm. She'd talk to them, talk to and, Greenpeace. She'd talk yeah, to them. Yeah, that was so hard because it was just after what happened in Wellington. I wasn't there for the last couple of days. I came home. Um, everyone was like, because you've got Sam, he looks normal, but obviously has quite a severe intellectual disability. Like the cops wouldn't have understood what he was about. No. And that's no criticism on the cops. They just, when someone looks normal, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, so I was just losing my point. But, you yeah, know, when they did the climate change protest a couple of days later, and she said, we welcome you onto Parliament grounds. These are your grounds. Yeah. And I think everybody that had been through the village was like, excuse me, what did you just say? Yeah. Well, and if you look at the, you know, few months before the Wellington protest, there was all the Black Lives Matter protests mm. and the violence that occurred with those, and nobody said anything. It was accepted. And no, because we should have a democratic right to protest. Yeah, that's right. It's a fundamental right for democracy. You know, and, and it galls me to hear David Seymour still claim that he met the leaders of the protest. Now, I've spoken to almost all the leaders of the protest and the various groups that mm. were at the protest, and not a single one of them has said they met David Seymour. So either he's lying or they are, and I know who I believe. It's not well, David Seymour. A friend of mine said that in a meeting he said that he drafted the little note from the leaders of parliament saying that they wouldn't correspond, and then other times he said he didn't. So I'm not quite sure. But just from an outsider observing, the number of resignations or firing of his candidates for having different opinions to him, I'm not sure how he can speak about freedom of speech and democracy because in a democracy, there are all different voices mm. and all those voices should have a voice. Well, everybody should have a voice and they should. we all have a voice. Not mm. enough of us use it, but a fair amount of us did. And, you know, we're pilloried for being wacko and crazy. You're a lawyer, a commercial lawyer, commercial mm. property lawyer. You're not a stupid person. No, and as like Sean Plunkett's been trying to get me on, um, and I'm just sort of considering that option at the moment. But as I said to him, back when I wrote my first open letter to Parliament and OIA on the 25th of August 2021, mm. I put it out there that vaccine passports could become very real. I was labelled as a conspiracy theorist. What happened? <laughs> we, we had 
a nation divided because of vaccine passports. Because of health So, status. yes, I'm not a silly little girl. Mm. Um, I actually am an intelligent business person. I have my own practice. I have 20-plus years' experience. I have worked at some of the biggest firms in New Zealand, the largest firm in Australasia. But it's very easy to try and shut down a person by just slapping on a label such as a conspiracy theorist, which, as we know, was developed by the CIA, that term. Mm. And disinformation spread super spreader and all sorts of mm. nonsense you know if you went through and looked at the mainstream media articles about yourself and believed every word that they said you'd be sitting there with a tinfoil hat on surely yeah. no sticks and stones as i said mm. my whole life i've had to put up with different comments and yeah so i'm not taking any of it to heart i'm here to do a job and that is to take back our country and they need my brain and intellect and ability to write and those legal skills within the team yeah. because we all bring a different skill set. And as a team, we are going to be amazing. And with the latest polls, it show, and Christopher Luxon has been kind of forced into a corner where he's now had to admit that he will actually pick up the phone and ring, ring New Zealand first and mm -hmm. have a discussion. Uh, that's given license i think to many people that have been vacillating or finding it difficult to make up their mind on where to place their support will new zealand first make it back into parliament will they not it's clear now that new zealand first is going to make it back into parliament very clear and, and it's also clear that christopher luxon is not going to be able to get there with just the act party and will have to include New Zealand first in some of the some sort of discussion along the way and work out what that is. That then means that those people who have previously been wondering whether or not to vote for New Zealand first or for any other party that's against this government have now got a safe haven in New Zealand first where any extra vote they get now means extra MPs. Extra MPs yes. means better leverage, better negotiation power and we could actually see even though Winston doesn't have any bottom lines or New Zealand First doesn't have any bottom lines it means that you've got more options available to you especially if you're of a similar size to the ACT Party. Yeah well I mean Winston often says how do you expect me to fly to the moon if you only give me a microlight so mm. let's actually give him a rocket ship this time. Yeah I mean that's the thing that I always have you know hundreds of people commenting on my website uh, bagging New Zealand First and Winston Peters. And if you say to them, well, why, what's the issue here? And they say, oh, he's never delivered anything. Just name one he's thing. Delivered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know that. And they say one guy, one guy who's a true blue blinkered National Party person, Christopher Luxon's a brilliant businessman, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on. He says, name me one thing. Name me one thing that Winston Peters has ever delivered. 1800 police for a start. Well, <laughs> well, it didn't even need to do that. It's just the gold yeah. card, the super gold yeah. card, right? That's one thing that it has delivered and continues to deliver. Mm. Um, but the people who complain the most about New Zealand First or Winston Peters never vote for them. It's astonishing. You can't find very many New Zealand First voters who are upset or bitter about whatever's happened. The, the, people who, the people who are most upset about Winston Peters in New Zealand First are usually National Party voters because Winston didn't choose them. Mm. No, absolutely. I often ask that question myself. I'm like, well, did you vote for him? No. And then it's like, well, how can you comment? 
but he's done so much. <laughs> but even with like the Therapeutic Products um, Act, mm. he helped stop that in 2007 and 2017. The moment he's not in Parliament, it gets passed. Yeah, Russ never sleeps with bureaucrats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but also, so- I've been surprised on the campaign trail. People honestly believe that you can just go into Parliament and change things. They don't seem to realise that you have to work with other parties, that you need 51% of the votes in Parliament usually. I mean, sometimes there's an entrenchment provision like the Electoral Act. Yeah. So you have to work together and negotiate. And Winston is a very skilled negotiator. And just with the TPP, like I get that all the time, he didn't stop the TPP. Yes, he didn't, but he managed to get the investor state dispute settlements out of contracts for five different nation states. And that's such a dangerous clause. So his lawyer brain goes straight to the heart of the matter and will just boom that out of the water. He doesn't worry so much about the fluffy stuff. So he's actually achieved a lot by just getting that clause out. Yeah, being a handbrake. And that's the thing is, you know, in 2017, people were saying uh, he betrayed the country by choosing the Labour Party and it was his fault uh, for Jacinda Ardern. And they forget that in 2020, 350,000 former National Party voters voted Labour in 2020. And Winston Peters and Nat New Zealand First were out of Parliament after 2020. Mm. You can hardly blame the excesses of the Ardern-Hipkins regime on Winston Peters when so many National Party voted, previous National Party voters voted Labour in 2020. Exactly. And I think a lot of that is actually coming from the freedom community. There's just memes are really great ways to get into people's psyche. Mm. Um, and I get that all the time. And it's like, well, in 2017, he tried to negotiate with National. They First. didn't really want to <laughs> yeah, negotiate with him. So yeah. he's representing a party who has policies that have come from the remits and come from convention. So then he goes across to Labour and they are going to deliver more of the party's policies. So which one do you go with? And if I recall correctly, there wasn't a huge difference in the vote between National and Labour, and none of them had actually achieved over 50%. No, well, that's right. And, you know, I I know people that were sitting around the negotiation tables Mm -hmm. on both sides, both New Zealand First and National. And, And I know that National Caucus members and senior MPs were screaming at Bill English saying, do the deal. Because when you think about it, the Provincial Growth Fund, if Bill English was had half a brain and it was any good at negotiation, instead of rejecting it outright, he would have said, well, okay, we'll do the Provincial Growth Fund. And yes, you can have Shane Jones as a minister in there, but that minister reports directly to the Minister of Finance mm-hmm. and had some element of control over the Provincial Growth Fund. Whereas Ardern was completely doolally and mm. uh, thought that if she just issued directives, you know, and, and motherhood and apple pie statements and bumper sticker slogans, that everything would be yeah. all good. There was no actual management. And Grant Robertson uh, has the fiscal responsibility of a, of a problem gambler. Um, <laughs> it was never going to manage it properly. But Bill English could have. He could have put, applied that discipline to it and done a deal. And, and the outcome may have been slightly different. I don't believe that the 
outcome for how they handled the pandemic would have been any different, even if Bill English was leading, because well, they just believed people. I mean, he knew that Judith was coming after his seat. Mm. Like, would Judith Collins have handled it any differently to Ardern? I don't believe I don't so. Believe and, so. I, and, and I know Judith Collins very well. She's a, a good friend. Uh, but I don't believe they would have handled it any differently because politicians don't know everything. No. And what they don't know gets filled in for them by bureaucrats. And, and that's so where Ashley, a lot of the problem lies, yeah. just too many bureaucrats. Ashley Bloomfield and... Uh, and and as offsider would have been the people that they would have listened to and they would have done exactly the same thing. The only mm-hmm. difference would have been they would have been more efficient at taking away our freedoms. They would have been harder, faster, and quicker at removing our rights, and they would have been a more efficient fascists. And that's the only difference that I see between the Na- Labour Party and the National Party, that mm-hmm. National would be slightly more efficient at taking away our rights. And they haven't got someone to say, no, you can't do that. No, and that's why we need to get back into Parliament. I mean, also, there was the consideration of National being very unstable at the time as well. Mm. And looking back, they've been through, what, five different leaders? Oh, no. Was it six? Yeah. Well, you know, Labour did the same thing. If you remember, they had Mm. Phil Goff and then they had David Shearer and then they had David Cunliffe and then they had Andrew Little and then they had Jacinda Ardern. So Labour. But then we had Jacinda Mania. I mean, I've I got know. friends that absolutely loved her. I bet you they don't now. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, she she's had to go overseas because she can't go anywhere in New Zealand without people hissing at her. Yeah, it's interesting her half full tank, but yet she's working overseas quite hard and some quite prominent positions. Mm, plenty in the tank to write a book. Yeah, and still getting paid by the taxpayer, which is one of the most concerning things. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, this is one thing that I admire about Winston Peters is that he does not agree with sinister positions for ex-politicians and mm-hmm. appointing them to diplomatic roles because we need to give Bill or Fred or Johnny a little job in London or Trevor in Ireland. Winston has always said, no, we should have career diplomats do those jobs. Mm-hmm. And he's, and that's, I, you know, I always tease him a little bit when I have, have a drink with him. And I say, you know what, Winston, half your problem is, is that you don't look after your own people by putting them into jobs. Because can you name any ex-New Zealand first MP that's gone and got a cushy job? You can't say Shane Jones because he was an ex-Labour MP who was given a cushy job. Yeah, no, I'm unaware of any. Most have mm. gone on to be like businesses, like most of us are business people. Yeah. So we actually can balance a budget because we know what it's like to have money in the bank and pay tax and have to balance things. Mm. I mean, Labor's shameless about giving jobs for their mates. Annette yeah. King in Cam- Canberra, Trevor Mallard in, in Ireland. Yeah, Mike oh, Wall. Uh, Ashley Bloomfield at the moment. Oh, yeah, he's got a nice yeah. cushy job. And, uh, and National's no better. You know, they're a little bit more sort of professional about it, although the way they shoehorn John Collins into uh, the High Commissioner in London to get him out of being the president of the National mm-hmm. Party was quite shameless and quite, you know, venal, really, in the way they did yeah. it. But but that's what those two big parties do. Mm-hmm. And yet Winston gets all the criticism. I mean, I used to say John Key could walk an old lady into the middle of Queen Street on, in, you know, on a weekday at lunchtime outside the Civic and beat her with a baseball bat, and everyone would say Winston Peters did it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that is true. But none of us really want to be. I don't want to be a politician. I definitely Good. do not want to be a career politician. I've just seen what's gone wrong in this country. Mm. And no one else is putting up their hands. So I'm like, well, if we want change, I'm going to have to be the change. So I would love to be in there. I'd love to say one term, but I don't think that's long enough because the issues are so big and it's going to take a generation to sort some out. But I think I'm a two-term politician and then I just want to go back to my ordinary life. What you say is correct, and I've been saying this for a long time, especially directed at people in the freedom movement. And I've been saying to them that you can't form a party and get in and change the world in five minutes. Mm. A party like New Zealand First or indeed ACT and look at the Greens as well. The Greens have been around since 1972 in various different forms in the Values Party. That's how long it's taken them to get there. Now, sure, mm. they've got crazy ideas, you know, and they're communists, really. But New Zealand First is 30 years, 30 years to get to where they are now. The ACT Party is formed uh, around the same time, around 30 years it's taken to get to where they are because they're both creatures of the MMP environment. And mm-hmm. then if you turn around and say to them, if you say to the Mac Kings of this world or you know the NZ loyal people or even new conservatives, what's your 30-year plan? Like, what? But that's what it takes. That's the amount of determination and grit and stickability that you have to have in order to make a difference in New Zealand politics. It's such hard work. And I'm... I came in, I was very naive when I came in and there's still a lot for me to learn. And I'm just so glad I'm with a party that has that experience because I will make mistakes. (laughs) But these people, hand on heart, like I think they really truly believe they're doing the right thing. Mm. But they're not going to get there in two and a half weeks. No. Come back in 2026, have a real shot of it, build it up. I mean, Winston is 78 years old and I've never seen a person work so hard and I'm a hard worker, Mm. but he is going from public meeting to public meeting. He just doesn't stop. No, he doesn't. And that's to get to that five or 6% on the polls. There is, if they aren't polling now at that five or 6%, it is humongous to get to that point. And I, honestly do not believe that will happen. So all they are doing is giving more seats to National and Labour and the Greens. So voters really need to consider that, carefully reflect on that. I mean, all the stuff about the wasted vote being a psyop, I'm just, how can people even say that? It is just actually a fact. It's a a A fact. fact It's a fact. (laughs) It's not a psyop. You know, it's like I've been accused of running a psyop, you know, on behalf of the National Party. And the person who said that clearly doesn't know my history with the National Party and the animus that exists between me and them. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not. <laughs> what they don't understand is this isn't a psyop for me. I love talking. We about love New politics. Zealand. We're concerned but, about. Yeah, New Zealand. I mean, I wasn't even born here. You know, I was born in Fiji, yeah. but New Zealand's my home. Yeah. And uh, and I want New Zealand to be the best country it can be. I've got relatives that fought in wars, mm. you know, seriously injured uh, in wars, uh, wounded out of, you know, out of Vietnam. These people put their bodies on the line. And the least that I can do is use my intellect, my wit and my voice 
to get people enthusiastic about New Zealand. And I want the same for every politician, not just from New Zealand First, but from mm. the National Party, the Labour Party, the Green Party, to love this country as much as I do, and clearly as much as you do. Is it too much to ask that our politicians actually give a shit about the country? No, and that's what they should be doing. If you want to serve the people, you've got to serve the people and actually represent all the different voices, not some undemocratic organisations in the background that seem to be pushing agendas out. But also just finding on the campaign trail, we're all newbies, we're all first-time candidates, Mm. and it's actually been great to get to know people. Yes, we have different policies, but we do all care about our country and just actually the ability to listen to the other side and knowing that we have to work together in parliament. So you've actually got to build relationships with people. You don't need to agree with them. As I say, that's what happens in a democracy. You don't need to agree with everybody, but to find the things that we can actually change, like lots of us are really concerned about co-governance. So if we all work together, we can actually get that stopped. Winston's been talking about co-governance for decades But unfortunately, we weren't sophisticated enough to actually understand what he was saying at the time. But now that it's on our doorsteps and affecting our lives, everyone's, well, most people in New Zealand don't want separatism and racism. It should be one vote for all, one health system for all. So by building those relationships, we can actually make those changes. But if you get people that are just trying to shoot people down the whole time, how do they expect to work with anybody especially if they've only got one or two voices in Parliament, if they're lucky. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right there. It, we have to get past the polarisation, and that's the, the if, if there was any, a single word that would use to describe the legacy of Jacinda Ardern, it would be polarisation. Yes. She separated New Zealand in so many ways on race. Well, she even admitted that on camera. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, that is what it is. That's, it's exactly what she said. And she smiled about it as she did it. The funny thing is, though, is everyone forgets that just a short while before that, she said it was never going to happen. She actually said, no, we wouldn't discriminate against people if they refused the vaccine. She said that. Exactly. And then she brought in discrimination. But I think people are starting to see that. I mean, families were divided. Friends were divided. Mm. There was a chairwoman of a company that I was working, acting for, that actually said that she wanted to see the unvaccinated die in the streets. And at that point, I was just like, what has happened to my country? Mm. But people are now reflecting, and it's hard because they have to admit that they were sucked in. And and But we are getting there, and without getting anyone into trouble, on the campaign trail, a person from a major party actually said that they were upset that the nation had been divided by unvaxxed and vaxxed. Mm. So there are these new politicians coming through, the younger ones as well, that actually do care about New Zealanders and Kiwis and our future. So we do, yeah, the polarisation and it's also binary, but like life is about nuances. It's not yes, no. Mm. That's right. We have to live in the modern world. And, and we have, have to live in reality. <laughs> you have to live in reality. And, you know, yeah. that's why we set up Reality Check Radio. So. No, I knew you were going to do the plug then. <laughs> I walked into that one. Yeah, you, <laughs> you got me, Cam. <laughs> yeah, you walked straight into it. But you know what? That's that. It's important. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I've been talking to as many candidates as I can get on the show. 
And, and it's a, a terrible shame that the National Party and the ACT Party have refused to have anybody come on the show with, with me for whatever reason. They, they never give a reason. And so it's not a PSYOP that I've been interviewing New Zealand First candidates and pushing New Zealand First. The fact of the matter is, is that of the hundreds of candidates that we've asked that my producer emails and corresponds with, uh, pretty much only the New Zealand First candidate said, yeah, sure, we'll make some time for you. We'll come on. And so there's that. no conspiracy. There's no PSYOP. There's no uh, nefarious thing is we've asked politicians from every party to come on, including the Green Party and Labour Party, and they've refused. And New Zealand First have accepted the invitations to come on Reality Check Radio. And as a result, more people have understood the depth of the candidates that exist within that party. And, and as I say, it's a terrible shame that the others haven't done that. So, you know, I really thank you for coming on the show and sharing your thoughts, your vision about where we're heading, what we need to do. And you're right, it is a, a, a big task that we need to do to fix New Zealand. And we can do that one listener at a time, one voter at a time, one party at a time. And eventually we'll spread information. It's not disinformation or misinformation. It's information. All information is is valid until, you know, we fact check it and test it. Don't use those words. <laughs> I mean, actually fact check it. You know, you look, yeah. you look back on the things we were told. Let's start off with don't believe anything you hear unless it's said by us. Said by one source of truth. One yeah. source of truth. Said by Jacinda Ardern in Hamilton two days before she locked us down, when she was denying that she was going to lock us down, that it was disinformation and we haven't said it, so it's not happening. And then two days later... not even talking to your neighbours. It was dangerous to talk to your neighbours. Yeah. Just fanciful stuff like, oh, you can catch COVID from a packet of frozen peas that's come from Australia. Just insane stuff. Mm, Exactly. that, That we were ridiculed for saying, well, that's bullshit. But yeah. the, I always use this example as well. So as I said, my husband said he didn't want anyone to be locked down. If he wanted to stay at home, he could stay at home. Then during the, I think it was the second lockdown, there were no cases in Tauranga Hospital at all. His kidneys were failing from the chemotherapy trial that he'd been on. Mm. One test came back, the threshold for the test, so when it goes the little red bit going, we need yeah. to investigate further, should have been 60. His reading came back at 911. Right. So we were panicked. What's happening? Where are we going? He could not go to Tauranga Hospital for five days to get the next lot of tests because of COVID, despite not having one patient with COVID in the hospital. But yet the response to the pandemic was, it was all about our health and saving people like my husband. Well, guess what? He didn't find it to be about his health and he didn't find it to be about saving him. Mm. Just terrible. Sorry, I'm a bit passionate about that, but that's how it's affected our family. Well, you know, people, I think, too, are finding that uh, now a lot of the things that they signed up for, injected into their arms, are causing problems in their families. And people are angry and getting angrier because the politicians keep telling us things like safe and effective. Uh, but that's why we need this full independent inquiry outside 
Parliament, no politicians involved, experts from New Zealand and overseas for a good one year so that it is independent and that the people can actually trust the recommendations and the decisions mm. that come out of that. Because at the moment, we do not trust politicians anymore. I mean, I, well, I think trust, trust in the media and politicians have But even the medical fraternity, you know, trust in the medical fraternity has gone through the floor because they all went in lockstep, even if they didn't agree with it. And I know the discussions that I had with my GP, who was a great uh, GP. He he actually told me not to to take the vaccine because I'd I'd had a stroke, and it was a known side effect. But they just weren't allowed to talk about it. But he wouldn't recommend that to me. So he told me not to. I was never going to do it anyway. Mm. But but he told me that. But he had to do that very quietly, and not make a song and dance about it. Because otherwise the medical council would have come after him. Now he's retired now. It would be interesting to get his point of view now. Well, after my husband was told the same um, by a specialist that he would not be recommending it for my husband because there wasn't enough research. So that's where we started to question what was going on. Um, people will throw this anti-vaxxer terminology at me. My son's fully vaccinated, mm. uh, apart from the COVID-19 vaccine. But that's also because... He's got a heart murmur. Mm. And as we know now, and as I started doing the research, although I was told that I was a conspiracy theorist, young men do have a higher incidence of myocarditis and heart issues with the vaccine. That's a proven point now. Mm. And different governments around the world are looking at that. So I chose not for him to get the vaccine, which I ended up pulling him out of school because he was being excluded. Just more and more discrimination for a kid that already gets discriminated against. Mm. And I don't think that's fair that the, the government did this to New Zealanders, to hardworking, yeah. good, yeah. honest Kiwis. That's right. They 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 separated the country on the basis of a medical intervention. Yeah. You know, whatever happened to, yeah, you know, these are the same people that protest in the streets and scream, my body, my choice, when it comes to things like abortion. But when we said, no, my body, my choice, I'm not going to get injected. We were attacked, vilified. And that's when I started realising something was very wrong. And as I said, my first open letter to government in August 2021, I was so green, I thought I'd actually get a response. <laughs> and when it was just stark silence, silence, I was like, what is happening? And that's when I started to ask some questions because I went to law school with Simon Bridges. He was in my year. Mm he would say hello to me in the streets if he saw me. So I was like, why is even Simon ignoring me? And I even wrote on, my fa on his Facebook page, please reach out to me. Here's my mobile number. <laughs> so once again, Radio New Zealand, I do give out my mobile number. Um, but he never reached out. And I was like, we're in dire straits. If politicians aren't actually even going to start a conversation with people, where are we headed? And looking three years, well, close to three years back, I do not like where we've ended up. And now you're about to enter Parliament, fingers crossed. I hope so. Yeah, fingers crossed. And you will continue to keep conversations happening with the people, the voters who put you there. Yeah, I may not always agree with stuff personally, but I'm there to represent the people. So it is my job to have those conversations. And on that note, 
<laughs> I think we've used up plenty of time. Yeah, we have. Time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I might Winston. We'll just talk like for hours. <laughs> uh, well, I'm known to be able to talk for hours. You know, pe- yeah. pe- people talk. What is it that men have apparently, you know, X number of words that they can use and in a day or something? Oh, I've what think- are you telling us, Cam? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe maybe I've got a bit too much female DNA. Yeah. All good. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. No, you're most welcome and all the best for the election. And uh, and we hope that yourself and, and a good number of New Zealand First candidates make it into Parliament and we can get that review. We can get that handbrake applied to the globalist agenda and uh, and we can start to have our country back in the control of New Zealanders. Absolutely. So give us that rocket ship because we want to fly to the moon. Thanks a lot. Great. Thank you. Well, that was a wide ranging discussion and you can certainly see the dedication and commitment from Kirsten towards democracy and freedom. It's in the hands of the voters. And if New Zealand First gets 8.8%, then she will be a freedom advocate in a party that even Christopher Luxon has said he will have to talk to. Don't forget to send comments on Kirsten's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion, common sense, and open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. And now it's time for one of your favourites, Cam's Buddies. This week we'll find out what they'd like to see in the makeup of a coalition after the election. I have no idea what they're going to say, so expect some surprises. Look, I regularly catch up with these mates, and they always give me their total unvarnished views on anything, even if they disagree with me. And plenty of them do. My producer has them all ready to go. They're lined up. Let's hear what Cam's buddies have to say about what an ideal coalition government looks like to them. Welcome to Cam's buddies, Marcus. How you doing, mate? I'm fantastic as usual. This better be important, mate. You made me put down my cigar to come and call you. Well, you can have a puff if you like. Uh, My question (laughs) to you this week on Cam's buddies is what is the ideal coalition arrangement and results that you'd like to see from this election? 
Well, from this election, the ideal is um, like completely not going to happen, unfortunately. But um, I would suggest probably a a three-way coalition, um, NZ First, ACT and National, and votes in that order. But I think it'll be around the other way. But that'll be better than the alternative, I'd say. Do you think New Zealand First is going to maybe, you know, get over the top of ACT in this election? Mate, I'd I'd love to see that. I'd absolutely love to see that. I don't think it's going to happen. Um I saw on the latest polls, ACT has dropped a little bit and NZ First is getting up. Um, and and I, I do truly believe NZ First are going to surprise a few people because um, I think there's a lot of voters out there that are um, sort of starting to wane a little bit off the rhetoric that David's been going on about. Um, he's shown some of his true colours a little bit with um, some confrontations and that sort of thing. And I think probably some of his supporters might be looking at NZ First and they're sort of considering at the moment. And I mean, that's why he's been so paranoid about it. And I saw Christopher Luxon came out just recently and said he's happy to talk to uh, NZ first. Funny enough, mm. <laughs> like that was never going to happen. But um, um, yeah, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, sorry, mate, I'm not no. convinced that they're going to get over top of ACT. Um, I think it'll be reasonably close, though. I think probably ACT is going to be ten to twelve, and NZ first maybe six to eight. Yeah, and what do you think National's going to land on? I, I really don't know, eh? I really don't know because I think National might lose a few to ACT and NZ first. Um, I think that's where the, the vote's going to go and National's probably going to lose a little bit from the polls. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard to pick. What were they in the last one? They were like, was it 39? 39, but I think that's no. a little high. I think, um, you know, the Taxpayers Union has them about 36, 38, something like that. I'm picking that's where they'll yeah. land about there, and um, it's not the the forty plus that uh, John Key and Bill English used to enjoy. That's for sure. No, and that's it's incredible too. I mean, if there's any if there's any government that you should be able to get those sort of numbers over, it's this one we've currently got. You know, it's just absolutely mind blowing that National has done done such a piss poor job of being opposition. Absolutely terrible, and I, ju- I just well, can't understand it. Um, well, we saw that in the debate, yeah. didn't we, with Christopher Luxon agreeing with almost every position that Chris Hipkins had on on some key areas. The only difference being yeah. how they deliver it. I um I, I I saw the results of that. I didn't. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. To be fair, I, I I had better things to do, like clean the cat's ears, and I don't even own a cat. So, yeah. But yeah I mean, I, I saw the re- I saw the results of it, but um, yeah, I mean. Very, we've talked about this in the past. Very underwhelming person, Mr. Luxon, and and like I said, David's starting to um, starting to show some of his true colours. I tell you what, I do want though. I do want a democratic government, and I don't think we have that. You know, I think we've we've gone away from the democracy, and we've made being a politician a big business, and there's sort of it's sort of um, become a little bit of a target for big business because then they can get um, policies and the likes thereof through in the back door um, so they can make more profits. And and we're, we're living in some sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, some sort of weird um, coalition with capitalism and democracy and, and they're sort of in each other's pocket a little bit now. And I, I really think we need to sort of reiterate what we have here. We, and, and it's not the democracy we think we have. You know, we need we really need to get back to the government listening to the people and, and being there representing the people, which is what a democracy should be. 
So yeah. I don't know how to get there, but I, I think basically that's what we've got right now. And and it, it's it's I, I believe it's to do with how much money you know you got Black Rocks and Vanguards that are making stupid. Yeah. We've talked about that as well. I mean yeah. we're 120 billion dollars in New Zealand GDP, and and that's just a that's a splash in the in the saucepan for these companies. You now you can't tell me they don't have their knees under under the table of the decision makers and that sort of thing. And of somehow we have to separate we have to separate that out again and make it make it so it's uh, it can't be it can't be influenced by big business. That's why we need and, a handbrake. I mean exactly and that's why we need Winston. Exactly right. A nationalist thinking yeah. about New Zealand and New Zealand people. And yeah. that I, I can't I can't say that to the listeners any clearer than that. We really need New Zealand first to be a strong player in this next government because ACT and National have already have already indicated what they're going to do and they're not they're not going to stop any of this globalization. They're going to battle us with all this tax for this um climate change rubbish and all that sort of carry on and, and it's all money going to big business. It's not going to New Zealanders. We need New Zealand first in there. And I, I hope they do well. Um I'm certainly voting for Winston, um unless something drastically happens in the next five days or that thereabouts. Yep. So, well, that, that's yeah. fabulous. You Marcus, know. thank you for that uh, point well, of view. And I'll get on to the next caller. Thanks. All good, mate. Catch you later. Hi. Welcome to Cam's Buddies, Paul. Yeah, it's how good. are you, mate? How's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Um, we just uh, had Kirsten Murford on the show beforehand and uh, Lee Donahue from New Zealand First. What I want to ask my buddies, though, is what's your ideal government look like uh, once all the results come in from the election? And I know, you know, we've got a sweepstake running uh, with the boys at lunch, but I'm interested to share everybody's views on what they think their ideal government looks like. Well, for me, an ideal government would have um, right-leaning and a bit further right-leaning. So I I think um, National getting, say, 30%, ACT getting, say, 10%, and then New Zealand First getting 12 or 13%. But I'd also like for um, the minor parties to combine under an umbrella so that 8% of the wasted vote, if it could go somewhere in that direction, then, because um, only Winston Peters, um, I think, his party is now aligned with my values and only some of them. And so it's like, it's the best of the worst. And um, whereas I would rather that, because I was listening to um, one of the parties had three things that they wanted to go for, um, farming and family and free speech. Yep. Well, those absolutely suit me. When we've got our primary industry going well, um, when we're looking at how much um, the family means to civilised society, yep. so there's no ram raids and all the sort of stupid things because of poor parenting, parenting I mean, that's the sort of thing that I, I really like, some of those sorts of things. I was listening to some of the other minor parties give some of their manifestos, and I was thinking, yeah, I could agree with that, I could agree with that, and I'm thinking I agree a lot with what they're saying, yeah. and I'm not going to vote for them because I don't want to waste my vote. But yeah. if they would unite under an umbrella um, where whoever gets the seats gets the seats, and they get sort of like one seat each, and so at least I've got some incumbent MPs so that you feel like you're not chucking your vote away, um, I would look at them. But Winston Peters is saying a lot of what I'm wanting to hear, 
I, I'm a big believer in if you're a woman, you're a woman, and if you're a man, you're a man, and if you're a man, you shouldn't be going to women's toilets. Yeah, and yeah. that type of thing. So, so when people say, "Oh, that's just a, such a sideline issue, no one's interested," um, out of touch. People are interested when you've got daughters and wives and granddaughters. You are very concerned about their safety. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, New Zealand First is saying those things, but. I agree with you. If there was a, a credible umbrella party, and you know, I've had a couple of guys on the crunch talking about that, and they were expressing their frustration that all these minor parties, uh, they went and talked with them, met with them, but nobody got across the line and actually wanting to to do anything, which is just a terrible, terrible shame considering how many good ideas there are out there. Yeah, um, one of the things I heard said, and it might have even be from you is some of their good ideas, some of the parties could just steal them because the, the, the fact that they're a good idea, let's run with that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what a shameless politician would do. They see a good idea from another party, they steal it, take it as their own, uh, and then go out there and, and uh, you know, if they've got the ability and the MPs and they've reached the threshold, the ability to deliver that, then they can take all the credit for it. And I've been advocating this and Rodney Hyde's been advocating this along with, uh, you know, some of these freedom people should infiltrate these parties and become enthusiastic yes. volunteers and then uh, change them from within rather than trying to set up a, a separate party and, and try and battle their way for the next 30 years to get 5%. Absolutely. Now, I heard say on one of, um, I'm trying, I can't remember who was the host of it, but they were talking about how um, many of the Maori parties and the Maori MPs that are in different parties, whenever they're on a select committee, they always agree, and their main focus is rights for Maori. Well, that's pretty darn smart. If the Maori party and Maori political forces have joined every party so that whenever they're in whatever party they're in, they benefit the Maori people, you've got to say they've sort of thought us a bit I'm a European. And I'm thinking, that's smart stuff. They're, no matter what party they're in, they seem to be able to make it work well um, for their yeah. base culture, which is the Maori initially. And they also ended up with overhangs, which I thought was quite interesting as well at one stage, when they had um, seats as well as votes so that you could get an overhang. And I'm thinking, they've done a lot of smart stuff in politics, which many of the right-leaning parties could learn from. For example, we've all talked about a national um, party that only goes for seats and a national party that goes for the vote. And hence, that would make a huge overhang. Or, or, thinking, a, or, well, a, city -based, or a city based party and a rural-based party doing a similar thing. Absolutely, yes. Mm. And, and you're looking and you're thinking, well, and, and if one of them isn't even going for, for party votes, they're just going for electorate votes, electorate yeah. votes, then you make an overhang and they kick it. And I'm thinking, these guys are smarter than me. How come they're not doing these sorts of things? Well, you know, it's interesting. We could see actually an overhang with this election uh, where the Labour Party wins more electorates than they're entitled to by the list vote. And there's a real, real risk now as their vote slumps and ebbs away, um, you know, into a, into a terrible annihilation. But they could end up with a, a core rump of electorates, no list MPs, and maybe two or three seats overhang. And um, it's not going to affect the result, but it's going to give them more uh, more seats in opposition than they're perhaps entitled to. Yes. 
So if the government has changed, I'll be pleased. If the government's got a good handbrake in the view of Winston, I'll be pleased. Mm. And if the umbrella parties could form some sort of coalition party that would get as many of them available, if they could get to the 5% out of then the you, 8%, then you'd be very pleased. a wasted vote, then I'd be very pleased. So that's my description of how I'd like to see the government um, set up after the election. Well, we've only got a couple of weeks uh, to to wait for that, and election night is uh, promising to be very exciting. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll check in again uh, about that after the election, and hopefully, we get what we're what we're after. Thanks for your call, Paul. Indeed. Thanks. Bye for now, Cam. Welcome to Cam's buddies, Jimmy. G'day, Cameron. How are you this week? Yeah, I'm always fantastic, especially in election season. I just love it. Well, especially as the polls falling your way this this cycle round. Well, I remember last election in twenty twenty, you've been pretty down in the dumps, mate. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, it was pretty bad watching those election results roll in as all of that four hundred and thirty thousand national former <laughs> national voters all voted for Jacinda Ardern, you know. But it but it was all Winston's oh, fault. I, you know, it's all Winston's fault. Well, it could be Winston's fault or it could be Billingwich's fault. We'll never know, will we? Well, and what's your question tonight, mate? Some of us know. My question tonight is with two weeks or so out from the election, what does an ideal result look like for you? You know, is it is it going to be national and act? Is it going to be national act in New Zealand first? Who's going to be up? Who's going to be down? Who's leading? Who's telling me what is an ideal win, you know, election result for you, Jimmy? For me personally, I'd really like to see a strong act in national government. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to say I wouldn't mind to see a strong Winston and national government either. I don't yeah. want to see a three-way government. It's just dysfunctional. Seymour and Winston can't stand each other. They'll just fight. I'd rather see one of them stay at a cabinet. Maybe. Well, come on. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be fun to see that fight? You know, they could actually like book out Eden Park, have them in the ring and knock each other senseless, <laughs> you know, but, but in a, in a fight like that, you know, uh, I'd have to be, I'd be putting my money on Winston. He's a wily old dog and he knows a few dirty tricks. Well, he's made a leather, so I'm sure, I'm sure people wouldn't <laughs> knock him over, mate. But um, I think the, the problem with a three-way government is just nothing will happen. And we, we actually need some, Reversal. We need see, to I, see I some dis- changes. I disagree with you on that. I, I would like politicians to go in and do nothing, right? Because whenever they meddle with things, they stuff it up. And so I, I'm all for no government. Like, have enough there well, look, so I- we can pass a budget, we can make some cuts and things like that, but do nothing else. Like, yes, we need to reverse some things, but don't do anything new because – yeah, yeah, I look like 100% agree. Nothing new. What I mean is reverse, like undo some of the socialism. Take us back to 1980s oh, regulation. Or oh, the 1950s. 1950s, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but the, the, the problem is, though. can't do anything. The trouble is, though, is the National Party being the biggest party after this election is that they are literally the government of, or the party of the status quo. You, they don't often repeal anything that the Labour Party put in place. And the Labour Party knows that, which is why they put all the things in place, because they know the National Party won't turn, overturn them. And so what National and does is heard. manage things slightly better, but it's still the same stuff. 
National, I have heard that Labor literally passed poor policy because they know that National Party will tidy it up. But they, yeah. the Labor Party needs to just put it in place. And that's why I'd like to see either all the people from ACT jump into either New Zealand First or all the New Zealand First voters jump into ACT to give them a much bigger block. Because a lot of National and ACT, oh, sorry, New Zealand First and ACT voters want the same thing. There's a lot of crossover. There's different areas as well, of course, but huge amount the same. So in effect, we're splitting quite a big, strong vote for, um, you know, the whole bunch of especially social issues. Yeah. So, well, it will be interesting to see, won't it? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Just as long. Well, the good thing is that Chris Hitkins is going to go down with the shit, it looks like. He's, he's, do you think he'll go below 20? Well, you know, it's it's going to be... Well, you know, I'm hoping that they don't go below 21, and and you're probably wondering right. why I've chosen that number. It's because Bill English's yeah. record of 20.94 percent. I'd still want him to have that monkey. <laughs> I want him to have that monkey on his back forever. It, it, it's pity. Of, it's pity of me, I know, but that 2002 result was pretty poor, and um, and I think that's a record that's that he deserves to have. Well, I just want them to go low enough that Willie Jackson loses his job because that would be bloody funny. Maybe well, they're just about another trough. They're just about at that threshold now. If they drop another percent or so, there's no listing piece for the Labour Party. That's Grant Robertson gone. <laughs> That's Grant Robertson gone. It's David Parker gone. It's uh, it's Aisha Verrill gone. It's Willie Jackson gone. Oh, it's Christ. Andrew Little gone. Right? <laughs> this is all fabulous stuff. You, that's a list of who's who. That should be flushed down the loo. Yeah, but what it shows is that they got a majority last term and they've had one term and they've lost more than 50% of this report. Just shows how tragic it's been for our country. Well, 430,000 National Party voters are the, to blame for that. Yeah, that was just so crazy. Far it's out. a shocker. It's a shocker. All right, Jimmy, thank you for your thoughts on that and we'll talk next week. Thanks, Cam. Cheers. See you. Bye. Welcome to Cam's Buddies, Jack. Hey, Cam. How are you? Good. Missed you at lunch yesterday with the boys. Oh, there's too many there. There were not <laughs> enough seats for me. <laughs> yeah, well, you missed the Apart sweepstake. The oh, damn. Well, that's I all right. You can much. do it next week. Anyway, today's topic is what does an ideal election result look like for you? If I answer the way I'd like to, I don't think you'll speak to me again. Shall I continue? No, mate, you're entitled to your opinion, you're entitled to your vote, and I don't care who you vote for or what party you support or even if you um, support some lunatics like the Greens, it's up to you. But um, I'm never going to criticise somebody's right to choose. What a load of rubbish. Anyway, here goes. <laughs> um, I'd have Chris Hopkins as Prime Minister of the National Party. Chris Luxon would be uh, relegated to the backbenchers to learn his craft. I'd have Grant Robertson as the finance minister with Nicola Willis as deputy and also uh, Minister of Health. I'd have Winston Peters as the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Mark Mitchell as the um, police minister in transport, um, David Seymour, social welfare, education and Maori affairs, and Brooke Van Belden, justice. Now, right. I, I lost track at that stage. That's just the start. <laughs> but what about the parties? You know, what do you think is an ideal situation for you? It sounds like you're, you're talking about a grand coalition of national and labour. 
um, with a little bit of uh, act and New Zealand First in there as well, which would which would be almost a super majority. I think it'd be over seventy percent at least if we put all four of them together. Um, yes, uh, take the Labour Party out of it. It's just two people from the Labour Party who would have to become National Party members. Yeah, I'm not sure Grant Robertson's a winning proposition for finance minister. I mean, the guy's spent like a drunken sailor, and he's got um, fiscal control like a like a drunk uh, gambling addict let loose in a casino. You may think that, but um, I personally think he's done a great job. Oh, well, everyone's I know entitled to their opinion. It's never going to happen, but <laughs> I reckon a lot of people would vote for that. <laughs> Well, you never know, they might. But, you know, I reckon in the debate between Christopher Luxon and uh, Chris Hipkins, Luxon missed a trick when he was asked, you know, what is what do you think um, Chris Hipkins, one of his best qualities would be? He should have fired back and said, I would think that Chris Hipkins would make a great deputy prime minister under my leadership. Yes. <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah. I, I really think Hipkins is in the wrong party. I really believe that. Yeah, I'm look. I'm not a big fan of Hipkins. He was the COVID minister, and um, I know you're. You know, what are you up to? Your fifth or sixth jab now? No, only the fourth. <laughs> only the fourth. <laughs> not every, You know, people say to me, "Oh, Cam, have you only got uh, unvaxxed mates?" I said, "Oh no, there's there's always Jack." Yeah, but but I come to you now for further medicine. <laughs> exactly. All right, Jake, thanks for your opinion, and we'll talk to you next week. See you later. See you. Welcome to Cam's Buddies, Miles. Good afternoon. How are you this afternoon? I'm fabulous, as always. Now, the question for Cam's Buddies this week is, what does an ideal government look like for you in terms of the parties? And you can go on a mad rant like Jack did just uh, the call before, where he was suggesting that Grant Robertson should be the finance minister. Um, but uh, it's up to you. Let's start with the parties. What's an ideal win look like for you that you'd be very happy with? Okay, well, firstly, I'm not very happy with the current government. I'm not very happy with their record. And what would make me happy is if they were voted out along with their support parties. That would be the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is what's ideal? I'm not sure that any of the parties that may or may not replace the current government are ideal. So it's a really difficult question, actually, Cam. Mm. Um, Let me think. So... If I look at the current polling, mm-hmm. it, it seems as though there is a significant vote for National. There seems to be a significant vote for ACT and a significant vote now for New Zealand First. And by significant, I mean that the polls are showing over 5%. Yeah. Now, it's a moot point of whether or not the polls can be believed and you can ask yourself this question until the cows come home, but I think it's seven, maybe eight polls, Cam. How many now? Uh, nine, actually, and there'll be... It's probably ten, actually. Okay. So, say ten polls, because I'm sorry I can't count, 
have all shown a similar thing. And it looks as though we're going to get a combination of national, maybe ACT, maybe New Zealand First, depending on how the leaders uh, negotiate with Luxem. So far from ideal, I think there will be a combination of a couple or all of those three parties. And from my perspective, it would be a good thing if some of their policies of all of these parties were to come to fruition. But for that to happen, I think they need to have decent numbers. And I think if you're a party like ACT and you've only got, say, 10%, which is roughly 12 MPs, um, and, and National has the bulk of them, then you're not going to have much chance of getting your policies um, across the line. And it's a similar position for New Zealand First. So you need to have a bit more than 10%, which is roughly 12 MPs of the vote. Mm -hmm. And then National will start sitting up and taking notice of you, I think. Yeah, well, that's, you know, acted 8.8% 11 MPs. If New Zealand First gets a similar number, that's 22 MPs there that uh, the National can't take them for granted. Once you're a bit smaller than that, then they can take you for granted. And then the National Party, uh, will their machine will just kick into stride and they'll minimise your influence on the government. They'll uh, hobble any of your ideas that you've got, uh, you know, all of that sort of thing. So my ideal result would be a weak National Party with a strong ACT and strong New Zealand First that are about equally weighted so that there's no fisticuffs between the two saying I'm better than you or you know, you're better than, than that or whatever. It just means that the National Party needs the both of them and they all actually have to work well together, which is how MMP was supposed to work. And look, I think that's ideal, but the elephant in the room that we're not discussing is mm -hmm. what I would call the freedom vote. And I think the freedom vote has kept itself very much to itself. And I think that there is a significant number in, associated with the freedom vote. And I think that these folk are very interested in voting for a party that will um, represent them in Parliament. And that, to me, is the elephant in the room. And I think that some of these minor parties are going to benefit. I don't think Chris Luxon's going to get the benefit. And maybe ACT will get it, but I don't think so. But I think National and ACT need to pay attention because if the freedom vote goes New Zealand First's way, which it could well do, then we might see a New Zealand First outweigh an ACT um, representation in Parliament. And, you know, when I said right at the beginning, there's probably no ideal thing, I think that... I am much more a nationalist than I am a globalist, and I believe yeah. in New Zealand. I believe that the New Zealand people should come first, and I find it very hard to believe why we should kowtow to some unelected body like the UN or even the World Health Organization. I think we need to make policies for us. So from that perspective... I'd be quite excited to see the uh, freedom vote go New Zealand's first way 
and to have a much more nationalist approach to government rather than a globalist approach. Yeah, I always used to joke when people would ask me what my views on euthanasia were, and I'd say we should always look after our kitties in New Zealand first. And, um, you know, yeah. it was facetious, I know, but I actually, you know, used to think that world trade and globalism would be a nice evening out ac- across the world. It hasn't turned out that way, and in fact, it's 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 kind of seen sovereign decisions of nations disappear up the fundament of the UN, the WHO and the WEF. And so I've been converted to being a nationalist. And when I think about it, how I feel about it now, you know, perhaps I should have been that all along because, you know, I've always supported the Anzac spirit. I've always respected our returned servicemen, um, you know, who all were fighting for nationalist causes at the time and for important freedoms like freedom of speech and freedom of choice and freedom of association. And, uh, you know, we've seen over the last few years those rights uh, taken away literally and eroded and are continuing to erode with these tech giants that are censoring people because they've got wrong think. And I think we need to push back on that. And the only way to push back on that is to support parties that are nationalist in outlook and um, and tell these corporations uh, to go hang. Well, and that's why I wanted to talk about the elephant in the room, the freedom vote. I think these people are intelligent. Yep. I think they're well-read. I think they understand the difference between globalism and nationalism. And I think that they understand that it's not a good idea to prostate yourself at the, at the uh, altar of climate change and... What is it that we are doing this for? People are trying to sell us the story that we should be the world leader in in climate change. I'm sorry. Look at China. We don't stop buying Chinese product. I mean, China arguably is one of the largest, if you actually believe in climate change at all, which... Happily, well, I don't. But, I mean, uh, they're not one of the largest. They are the largest polluter. And and so, and we and we are um, four fifths of five eighths of stuff all, and and we are actually condemning our most productive farming sector to an overbearing weight of regulation. I think the freedom vote will be seeing through that climate change. Baloney, and I think they'll be seeing that we need to look after our our own interests, particularly our food production. And I've spoken to quite a few people in terms of how they view the next government, and they say, "Well, look, the globalism is a dead duck, and um, they're liking the nationalist approach. And who wouldn't? I mean." We are seeing, for example, farms that have been broken in 100 years ago that are producing sheep. We have seen that they are being planted in pine trees and everybody knows that pine trees poison the land. They poison the streams with their terpenes. Everybody knows this except for the Green Party. Now, why are we on the ground flailing ourselves about being world leaders in climate change. We need a government that understands that from New Zealand to be wealthy, New Zealand needs to produce food, produce it cheaply, 
So we need a government that'll actually put forward these policies. We need a government that actually has some spine to stand up to the wailing of the left wing. We need some government who has, and I guess guess this is the one good thing about having three parties, is that Chris Luxon can say, oh, but it wasn't my fault. You know, I needed to do this to placate ACT. I needed to do this to placate New Zealand First. I mean, Chris Luxon needs to have an excuse. And I think if you go back to your question, what is an ideal government? An ideal government is one where the parties that form the coalition, as it looks like it's going to be, are strong enough to hold Chris Luxon and make him actually do some seriously good work for New Zealand Mm. and strong enough to do that and strong enough to give Chris Luxon the spine to make that happen. Well, jellyfishes don't tend to have spines, so that might be a first. (laughs) Well, you know, everybody's got their good side. I, I have to believe that. And, you know, it's easy to say all politicians are lying, two-faced and, and tricky. But let's try and say, OK, which politicians are going to do something for the New Zealand farming community? Which politicians are going to do something for the manufacturing community? Which politicians are going to do something to protect the freedoms that we know and love? Yeah. Exactly. It's and, uh, and you know me, you know me, I'm big on freedoms. I'm right there and very angry about what happened during COVID. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking to see who is going to represent me in parliament with a nationalist bent who's really tough and unforgiving in protecting freedoms. And, you know, I want that party to have enough representation so that they can push this through to make New Zealand, or to return New Zealand, I should say, to a much more settled, friendly place. Well, I'm um, 100% in agreement with you on that. And uh, let's hope the election delivers us those results. Thank you for calling in to Cam's Buddies, Miles, and we'll talk next week. Thanks, Cam. Have a good evening. I will. Thank you. My buddies are awesome. Tell us who you think is the best of Cam's buddies and why that is by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand, with the government constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To revive honest media and support RCR, join our foundation membership club today. To learn more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Time for the mailbag, and it is bulging, including a massive hostile one. So get ready for my undies to be ripped. We'll start off with some general feedback and questions. 
This is from Natalie. Hi, Cam. Thanks for your advice on how to vote. You kept it simple but informative, and you've helped me make my decision on who to vote for. Change is desperately needed in the government, and while I wish Labour would disappear never to be seen again, the reality is they won't. But we need to take as much power away from them as possible. Not that national is much better, but hey, we have to work with what we have. Thank you for your effort and hard work in bringing us the truth and keeping us well informed. Anonymous says, a small voice to say RCR just brightens up my day. Just love Thursdays, especially the crunch. Well done, Cam. Love the variety on this show. Another anonymous commenter says, the best thing that New Zealand could do is dump the present party system or move to STV voting. Another anonymous commenter, hey, Cam, what do you need to do to be sampled re-political preference? I'm 54 and have never been asked. P.S. Good show. Keep it up. Also, I saw River of Freedom today. Wow, I thought it was over, but my eyes were quite wet a couple of times. And as we all left the theatre, it was silent. No one said a thing. We've got another anonymous person who says NZ Loyal is the way to vote. And Diane says, great show once again, Cam. Would love to see Labour at sub-20. It's what they deserve after their total contempt for all the hardworking Kiwis in New Zealand. Carrie says, hi, Cam or Rodney, I mostly listen to replays, but I wanted to clear something up. Is it true that if you vote for a minor party that they that may not get into power, i.e. Liz Gunn's party, is your vote allocated to one of those awfulest, useless parties like National and Labour? I'm sure I heard Cam say this, but just wanted to know if this is the actual case. Well, Carrie, it's not the actual case, but there is an effect of voting for a party that doesn't make it across the threshold. And that is whatever the total number of their votes are and the seats that they represent, it is the seats that are reallocated usually to the major parties because they got a larger chunk of the vote. It's a sad fact, but that's how MMP works. Your vote is discarded, but the effect of your vote and the collection of those votes are reallocated via the seats that are reallocated. In 2020, Labour got five extra seats this way. National got three extra seats. Act and the Greens got one each. Got a, a, an email here from Jan. Hi, Cam. We, can we support Winston Peters to fight our nation and stand for our sovereignty against the deep state? Just a thought. Let's get the kids involved. Maybe biblical stories. What do you think? God bless, pray, and repent. We've got Rochelle who says, Hi, Cam. Really enjoying listening to your platform, The Crunch, since it started. Okay, except the hard listening with Simon Lusk but I did because it's important to hear all perspectives. My question for you, Cam, is with early voting, could this be easily manipulated? I've seen lots of comments regarding this lately and would like to hear your thoughts. We'll be voting on the day. Keep up the great work and all the best. Well, Rochelle, I think it's pretty impossible to manipulate either the early vote or any voting in the booths. There's just simply too many eyes that are on it and too many scrutineers from the various political parties. Having been involved in politics for all of my life and, and been involved in polling booths, let's just say it's impossible. Uh, another anonymous one saying, Cam, just listen to your program, read tax cuts and how people are saying the Nats are the only ones doing this. Have you looked at NZ Loyal's policy? Y yes, I've looked at NZ Loyal's policy. But the reality is they're sub 1%, and so there's not much point in digging into it. It's simply not going to make the, the cut. Now for some negative feedback. 
Jody writes, hello, I'm just writing to you to put across a concern about what Cam Slater is saying about voting. Our country and what we believe in stands for democracy and freedom of choice. So it worries me that Cam is saying to vote for one of the better evils of the three parties that will probably get in. We need to vote for who we fundamentally believe in our hearts, and that's it. No one should dictate how or who to vote for. It's our democratic right to vote for who we think is right and for no one else to tell us. The good people of New Zealand don't need this to be said to us. If most New Zealanders vote wholeheartedly, then I believe one of these freedom parties will most likely get in. I love RCR and the range of interviews you bring to us, but this strategy from Cam Slater just isn't right or just in my mind. It's a letdown that he's saying this, and it's just a shame he is saying it on your platform, which stands for giving people the choice. Just wanted to let you know how I feel. Well, Jody, this is Reality Check Radio, and the clue is in the name. I deal with reality, and I am giving people the choice. I'm not telling them how to vote or who to vote for. I'm saying that if you want your vote to count, then there's only three parties that are going to um, end this government and this regime. And that's all of that I'm saying. It is up to each person to decide who they vote for. And I'm not telling you how to vote. If you want to vote for NZ Loyal or anybody else, that's fine. It's your democratic right to do that. It's also my democratic right to have free speech on my show. And so I can give my opinion. And I welcome any other opinions, including yours, which is why we've read this email out. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is, is that we don't exist to be beholden to any agenda or any party's belief or push any particular party. We are here to explore all options. Now, if some parties don't want to send candidates to have a discussion with us, well, that's their loss. There's plenty of others that do. And on my show, I'll welcome anybody even if they're from the Labour Party or the Green Party. Now, a comment about Erica Harvey's interview from Keith. How do we know your guest today won't do a Tracy Martin on us? Winston says he's against transgender, but allowed Martin under Peter's watch to push the first bill to make this contagion curse a thing when they were last in power. We don't forget. Please address this flip-flop. Well, Keith, I can't address the flip-flop. Tracy Martin's not standing for New Zealand first at this election. And you had an hour-long interview with Erica Harvey. You can see the colour of her jib. And uh, I just say make your own choice on this and don't look at the past. We, we can't keep looking at the past. Anonymous says, Cam, stop telling people to pick the winner. A true representation of public feeling will only come from heartfelt party votes. Candidate options allow for basic strategy. And basic strategy is what got us the government in 2020 when farmers in the Southland and in the South Island, voted for the Labour Party to keep the Greens out. How did that work out? Right, I'm not telling people how to pick a winner. I'm saying, if you want your vote to count, pick a party that's going to make the 5% threshold. Anne says, Cam, where's Erica Harvey been hiding? What a great candidate for New Zealand First. She'd be a real asset to have in Parliament for all New Zealanders. Will you interview Kirsten Murphy? Great show so far. Well, Anne. You will have heard I've interviewed Kirsten Murphy on this show just a short while ago. Diane says, please get confirmation your New Zealand first guest won't do what Tracy Martin's bill did to enable trans issues when Winston and her were last in power. I've lost my trust in Peters. 
Sue says, I'll be giving Winston my party vote after hearing him speak in Nelson. I was so impressed at his sincerity and his common sense attitude towards what needs to be done. I wish he could be PM. And John Boy says, Erica is awesome and so in touch, which makes a refreshing change. We're so thankful to have your show with your insights. All the best to you both from John Boy. Anonymous says, hi, Cam. That was a great talk with Erica. I hadn't heard her views, although I live in Tauranga. So good to get enlightened. Thanks. And Keith adds, who has the best intentions for New Zealand? Peters at 78 years or Seymour at 40 years? Hmm, is that the reason for the euthanasia bill, David? And Rob says, hi, Cam. That was a refreshing interview you had with Erica Harvey. I'm in Tauranga. And being able to listen to her speakers helped me confirm where my vote needs to go. And E says, thank you, Cam. The chat with Erica was special. I'm thinking New Zealand First will be growing and hit 12%. Best wishes. Incredible interview with Erica Harvey. Well done. And now on to Michael Bassett. Anonymous says, unfortunately, Cam, Michael Bassett is boring, biased, and past is used by date. First guest you've had who is disappointed. Another one says, big ups for being so gracious. I would have told him to bugger off for his representation of the protesters. What would he know? And someone else says, can you please check in with Michael Bassett after he has seen River of Freedom? I certainly will be doing that. Disappointed by Michael Bassett's opinion on the Parliament grounds process, it shows he's quite out of touch and that he's elderly. He had quite a bit of sense throughout the whole interview at times. I can say that being the daughter of a well-respected historian, W.D. McIntyre, who, although well-informed, became a little out of touch in his later years and relied on the MSM as a way he never had in his prime. He was deceased last year. However, Michael is a gentleman, very courteous and incredibly well-read. Michael Bassett was spot on about this government being the worst in New Zealand's history. I think he has rose-coloured spectacles regarding the ACT Party, though. Greg says, please don't have Bassett on again. He reckons Winston is too old. I think he should look at himself, especially when he's described as Wellington as losers. Seymour can have him, and they can all be something that was a swear word together. Mark says, hi, Cam. Interesting interview with Michael Bassett. As you've probably guessed, my attention was grabbed when he described the Wellington protesters as rabble. I respect Dr. Bassett studied history using his books, but even he repeats that untruth. I guess that just proves C.S. Lewis's line that it was the well-educated professionals who fall for propaganda and the working man who is deeply cynical. Our job then is to keep educating the Dr. Bassetts, and I do hope he goes to see River of Freedom. And I've got a big, long comment here now from John about Cam's buddies. And he says, hi, Cam, would just like to commend you on your show, The Crunch. I was particularly interested in your buddy Paul's comment about Luxon being a chip off the old block of John Key. I have to agree with Paul entirely. I worked at Air New Zealand when Luxon was the CEO from 2012 to 2019 I met him on several occasions in my formal capacity as the Vice President of the Aviation Marine Engineers Association. I retired in 2020 when COVID grounded the airline. Stuff had a headline back in November 21 saying, Luxon showed enormous intellectual capability but rarely met with ordinary workers. I have to agree. He was missing in action a large part of the time. When he made a visit to the Christchurch engineering base, it was invariably at a time when limited staff were on duty. During a pay negotiation I was involved with in December 2018, 
Luxon refused to return to New Zealand after the engineers voted 97.5% in favour of strike during the Christmas New Year period. In contrast, Rob Fife would have been back on the next flight. Kerry Hurahanganui finally brokered a deal. Given his lacklustre performance during his tenure at Air New Zealand, even though a record profit was achieved, Luxon got the kudos. Rob Fife did the hard yards when he first arrived, earning the dubious title of Fife the Knife. Rob then sent about establishing sound worker management relations, despite the Canadian effect opposed by two ex-Air Canada managers. Luxon, in my opinion, is not a leader, despite him holding the title leader of the National Party. He is a follower, demonstrated by his agreeing to a number of Hipkins' political standpoints. I gave him two books on leadership in the naive expectation it would make a difference, but never got any acknowledgement he had read them. We exchanged lists of business books we had read and also recommended books we had recently reviewed. Despite being praised as having enormous intellectual capability, he is still wearing political diapers. Definitely not a servant leader of the people, it's all about him. As an aside, after the record profit during his tenure, he handed in his resignation before the end of year results were due out. This was an astute move in my opinion. He did not have to have a please explain from the board why the profits were declining. John Key had been appointed to the board whilst Luxon was CEO. Tony Carter was the chair of the board. Key and Carter also handed in their resignations in very quick succession after Luxon. Personally, I can't trust Luxon. He doesn't have any people engaging skills. When Maureen Pugh asked whether humans were truly contributing to climate crisis, he choker chained her into line. No discussion, no investigation. Ryan Hamilton had opposing views to the National Party on fluoride and drinking. Luxon also pulled him into line. It's a bit of a long rant, but I hope this gives a little insight to the man. And a couple of comments about a replay of my interview with Chris Trotter. I prefer New Zealand First as an independent voice in Parliament, voting for or against legislation from the crossbenchers and holding all the globalist parties to account. And Anonymous says, if by quoting Chris Trotter, you're hoping to push the blues, they're no better. Same wasp, different stripes. And on that note, Anonymous, I have to agree with you. And that's the mailbag for this week. I look forward to receiving all of your letters, emails, text messages, good, the bad, and the ugly next week. Right, that's it for the crunch this week. We're getting to the pointy end of the election campaign, and this is where the rubber meets the road. The polls are not changing how Chris Hipkins would like to see them change. His performance in the debates was lacklustre, and New Zealand will see a third Prime Minister inside a year, something that hasn't happened since 1990, when we saw Geoffrey Palmer replaced by Mike Moore and then by Jim Bolger as national romped home in a landslide. But this election isn't looking like a landslide for national, but it will be a landslide for the opposition parties. Labour, meanwhile, face electoral annihilation. That's why they're making Big promises they know they will never have to deliver. And that's why you are seeing an increasingly desperate and nasty Labour Party going deeply negative like their poll ratings. With just over two weeks to go and just a few days until early voting begins, it's vitally important you keep yourself well informed. And that's why here at Reality Check Radio, to give you both sides of any story or issue, and it's a job we all love doing. Now, if you're using the RCR app, and you really should be, 
Go to the replays and select Election 23 to get all of RCR's election coverage. RCR has conducted over 200 interviews relating to local, national, and international politics and includes over 150 interviews about our 2023 general election. In keeping with our philosophy, we've provided information and insights to you, our audience, so that you can weigh your options and make your own educated voting decisions this October. As a result, our hosts have interviewed leaders and representatives from a wide range of political parties, both major and minor. And it's been a real pleasure having you all back again this week. I love your feedback and really enjoy talking to all of these different people, sharing their thoughts on politics, life, freedom, and everything in between. But there's still plenty more in this election campaign that we need to crunch into. So a big shout out to all of you. Thank you for listening and having faith in me as we continue to explore this beautiful game of politics. Don't forget, email suggestions to inbox at realitycheck.radio for people to, for me to interview. And let's continue to make this show the best political show in New Zealand. Stay tuned for a breakfast show repeat coming up next with features including money talks with my old friend Farzan Narani and Perigo's perspective with the one and only Lindsay Perigo. Looking forward to having you join me again next Thursday at 4pm for The Crunch with Cam Slater. You've been listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Remember, you can check out the replays for today's show on our website at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash replays. Tune in every Thursday at 4pm for more with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio.